What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome to episode 205 with my guest, Ian Gatoski. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour. Honesty about all the battles in our heads from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I think if you listen to it for about 10 seconds, that'll become abundantly clear. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's not a doctor's office. It's uh, I'm not a therapist. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. And uh, the website for this show is mentalpod.com. It's also the Twitter name you can follow me at. Go check out the website. There is uh, uh, blogs that you can read, uh, tons of guest blogs on a variety of subjects. You can support the show financially there. Oh, as somebody just informed me of one thing. One of the ways that you can support the show is through being a, a monthly PayPal donor. And I'm told that um, if you're going to sign up to be a monthly donor, do it through the PayPal link on our website because otherwise if you just try to go first and do it through your PayPal account, apparently it's uh, you, you can't do it that way. It's uh, hurdles galore. So apologies to people who've tried to do that in the past. Um, I never understood why they weren't able to do it. I just assumed they were dumb. Um, so, uh, yeah, keep, keep that in mind. And the other thing you can, uh, do, the other two things you can do with the website is you can fill out surveys. You can see how other people responded on the survey. It's fascinating. There's literally 10,000 responses, uh, among the various surveys that, uh, you can hear people pouring their heart out uh, about a variety of subjects. And, and the other thing is the forum. I let you know last week that I had accidentally deleted a portion of the forum trying to reorganize it. Unfortunately, a lot of that stuff hasn't been um, uh, found or reclaimed. But we do have a new thread that I'm really excited about, and it's called Ask a Mental Health Professional. And we've got a half dozen therapists and social workers who are willing to um, answer your questions, um, you know, time permitting, because uh, they do have busy schedules. And uh, of course, with the with the caveat that uh, they are 
these are just their opinions and it's not meant to be a substitute for you know one-on-one counseling uh just an opinion to be weighed among other other resources and um and if they don't get back to you right away it don't take it personally just you know they have lives and they're donating their time anyway i think i over explained that pretty well that's my goal is to over explain uh, I don't feel like I've explained something enough until somebody is staring at a brick wall completely uh, catatonic. Let's get to some of these struggles in a sentence. And uh, I hope uh, you're, uh, you had a Merry Christmas, Happy Holiday, nice Chaka Khan, as, uh, as Dennis Wolfberg used to call it. Um, let me... This is a struggle in a sentence survey, and this one's filled out by Donna A. And about her love addiction, she writes, Use me, abuse me, just tell me I'm tolerable. About her chronic back pain, every day I want to die and not feel this pain anymore. About her PTSD, shaking from the loud noise and feeling the biggest dose of fear I possibly can while others celebrate the popping of champagne or the fireworks. About being a sex crime victim, no one believes me, even people who know about it. They all say it was just a relative loving me and she didn't mean anything. About uh, being experiencing sexual bias, pretending I'm turned on by men and feeling gross because I don't want others to know. About experiencing racial or cultural bias. Every time someone ews my food or has to, has to stop to explain to me something that people who grew up in the U.S. already know, I want to crawl under my bed and not come out again about her anger issues. I want to punch through your skull so maybe your arrogance and self-confidence will spill out of your head. And a snapshot from her life, watching myself from a distance get out of the car behind a red light and punch the other person's car while screaming, motherfucker. I'll never forget the look of horror on the uh, face of the other driver. I kind of wish you had videotaped that. Um, that actually happened to Mike Schmidt. He, uh, if you've ever listened to the episode of Mike on this podcast, somebody, he had a, uh, a Hulk moment in driving and he was pretty horrified that somebody had videotaped it. Uh, this is filled out, uh, same, same survey filled out by, um, a girl who calls herself Peyton Sawyer. She's a teenager about her depression. She writes, I want so desperately to call the therapist and make an appointment to get better, but I also want so desperately to sleep through the night like a normal fucking person. About her bulimia, I can't control my depression or my anxiety, but I can control what does and doesn't go into my body and what comes out. About her anorexia, did you eat today is a question so often asked I almost want to scream, yes, I've eaten a whole raisin, so screw off. Um, uh, about having thyroidism, she writes, it's been a part of my life since I was nine, causing my depression as well as an array of other problems. Why does my body hate me? Oh, I think so many of us feel that have an antagonistic relationship with our bodies, myself included. Give us a snapshot from your life. Uh, she writes, I wake up before work, uh, before it all hits me. I feel normal just for a moment. Then it all comes rushing back to me. A panic sets in. Sweat covers my body as the anxiety of a day working in retail lies ahead. A day of saying, I'm just tired to my coworkers when I really want to say, my soul is heavy and I can't see anymore. The fog is too thick and I'm ready to crash the car. Oh God, I wish I didn't need to take meds. 
flat out fucking auditory hallucinations. I would literally wake up running from my bed. I'm afraid that I'll pass my anger on to my son. I thought the gunman was my father. Afraid of not being able to make a living. Um, that's probably going to break his heart if he hears it, but that's that's the truth. They committed him to Bellevue. There was this fear that if I feel this pain, I wish someone could see what was going on and just help me, that it will kill me and I will die and I will drown. You can't think your way out of a thinking problem. And I cried the way that a baby cries. I cried like an animal. It makes me so mad at myself that I do that. The burden of perfectionism. And that's when I got to Let's talk about that. So I was like, fuck it, I'm alive. I don't give a shit about anything. You are a shining example of what is best about human beings. I'm worried that the uh, Russian militia is coming over the hill. I know that, uh, but uh, Alice, how you feeling? I'm pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here with Ian Gatoski, who uh, I corresponded through email with a couple of times you gave me a heads up you're like i'm a road comic we've never met but uh i've been hospitalized a couple times Mm -hmm. uh i have bipolar 2 it runs in my family and i was like let's do it let's go for it well it was cool because i had a friend a year ago turn me on to this and, you know, I remember you and I also like being on the road. I've seen your name around and we actually had very similar bits on your half hour special. Okay. So I always knew of you. So he was like, oh, Paul's got a mental illness happy. I'm like, what? And I started listening. I'm like, oh, this is, this is what this country needs a voice, you know, like, so I was really pumped and I was like, man, I hope he gets back to me because I want to share my, you know, what I've yeah. been through and what I'm going and what I'll always go through, you know, in my life. So yeah, man, I'm really excited to be well, here. Well, good. I'm, 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 now all we can do is disappoint each other. So let's Correct. Get to let's it. do it. Let's make some disappointments happen. Uh, you are originally from Canada. Oh, yeah. I didn't know I was dealing with a, a Canadian. Canadian. Yeah. Yeah, man. I'm Who's your like, team? Oh, uh, Maple Leafs all the way. They're they're having a nice little surge lately. They're yeah, you know. Well, they had a nice surge, and now they're on a what a four game losing losing streak or something. Yeah, but I mean that you can go to you can go like Maple Leafs have been bad for a long time, but you go to the Air Canada Center, sold out every night. Doesn't matter. I went when I went to do the uh, Rendezvous with Madness Film Festival Mm -hmm. up there uh, two years ago. I wanted to experience uh, the Air Canada Center, so I was like, uh, I shelled out $200 for a single seat in the nosebleed section, and it was, you know, I got to go to the Hockey Hall of Fame, I got to see a Leafs game, it was, you know, the festival was fun, I got to meet listeners, it was just like a magical, magical couple of days, but uh, there is something particular to seeing uh, a game in Canada that just... uh, I don't know. It's it's and kind it's of original the, six. Like yeah. people understand the like even when we p- picked our Olympic team, we only have thirty million people in that country. Three or four million people just just to watch the selection of that. T- like hockey up there is just it's bigger than dare I say football in the states. I mean everybody oh, watches it. It's it much bigger than football in the states. It's, it's unbelievable. It's a religion in, it in is. Canada. The most people don't realize that when the Canadians in nineteen seventy two beat the Russians in the Summit series. Kids weren't even at if they were at school. It was on the TV. I was watching in the it, school, yeah. and everybody. It was a a moment. If you ask Canadians, what's the most special moment of the last hundred years in Canada? Everybody would say Foster Hewitt screaming Henderson, Henderson, yeah, because Paul Henderson scored the the, yeah, the, the game winner. Goal. Is that an exaggeration okay, so, or is that no? Well, I'll tell you this. 
um, not this past Olympics, but the previous one before that, when we finally won gold again, and it's been a while. In overtime against us. And Sidney Crosby, yeah. Miller in net was a god. Like, he only had five goals scored on that whole time, and it was all from Canadians. Yeah. And uh, we really outshot the Americans two to one in that, and we just couldn't get the number. And when Sydney flipped around and, and got it in, like, I, uh, I, I cried. I'm not going to lie to you. I cried when that happened and we won gold. And I was so proud when Canada, when they said, when they put the, the silver medal around Miller's neck. The place stood up for him and went nuts. Yeah. I'm like, that's awesome. I go, that, those are Canadians. That's man. that. That's I, I love when I see that kind of sportsman sportsmanship because yeah. you can play hard and still have a heart. Yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah that that was like the that's like the one thing that uh, I don't know. I guess coming from Canada and stuff because basketball is why I came to the states in the first place. Uh, comedy was always a secondary dream. Like it was my primary dream, but I didn't know how to go about it. What it, what it takes. I thought it would be easier to go to the NBA, but that was a far cry from that. But how tall are you? Six six. Okay. And I was a small center. Like I, and then everything changed, and guys grew to be seven foot two now playing the two position. Right. So I was going to ask, are you a gu- a guard? Uh, yeah, I was. I was a small center, and that just everything just uh, kind of fell apart. And, and and thankfully so, I'm not a good student. So uh, <laughs> grades were never really all that. I just did good enough to get on, to keep on the teams. But like, I don't know. I just like the heart and the the camaraderie in Canadian sports. And when I came down the states and just seeing it uh, in a completely different light, completely different light. So for me, it was just like, you know, Canada is always my home. Like I have a hard time giving up my mm. citizenship. You know? Yeah. Kind of weird. So we'll we'll slowly move towards uh, the the topic of the podcast. But you know, when I get a when I get a guest here who who loves hockey, it's it's my podcast. So of yeah. course I want to talk about it. <laughs> Why are the Vancouver Canucks such cocksuckers? That's a good question. It's uh, a lovely city, beautiful, and, and they are the most hated team. And they seem to have have gotten a little less cheap and nasty. But it just seems like the um, they're like Philly fans they're, they're, in Canada. They're like that's our can like that's our Philly is Vancouver. It's like Philly without the toughness. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. With beautiful gardens. Yeah, it, it's, like if, like a, it's like it's like if 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 Philly, you know, the seventy six Flyers, if they ran away from the fight after throwing the first punch. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the Mike Boss. That was Mike Bossy's team and stuff, wasn't that back in those days with the Philly? Um, are the you talking about the, the 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 Islanders? Mike Bossy was the oh, Islanders. Who am I thinking of? The, oh, you thinking of rough team? Yeah, the yeah, Phillies. The, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're thinking of the uh, Philadelphia Flyers. Flyers yeah. yeah, with. Uh, um, uh, uh, the bruisers for that Dave, team. Uh, Dave Schultz, mm-hmm. um, Reggie Leach. Um, yeah, there's a there's there, a yep. Moose Dupont. Yeah. Uh, yeah, how can you not be a bruiser when your name's Moose Dupont? Dupont just sounds yeah. like a like a d bag right yeah. out of the gate. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we uh, we digress. Where would be a good place to? Uh, I'm you know what I'm roasting. I'm going to take my uh, my sweatshirt off. Boom pop off the cans yeah this I just wanted- said that when you did, it wasn't like every shirt you had just like i'm going topless for this one i'm like all right paul let's do I it i want you to see my and he's got his blackhawk shirt on i want you to see my pasty gut <laughs> and he's got the chicago uh, there's black no hat. reason two sports fans can't experiment sexually that's right let's go for it um so where would be a good place to 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 start, what was home life like? Um, in, 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 just suburbs of Toronto? No, I grew up in a town of a thousand people, like insanely. Still, only got a thousand called Barry's Bay, Ontario. 
Um, is that where the Barry Colts are from? Uh, don't think there's any Barry Colts from okay. there. It's it's a very small. It's all lumber and farms. Okay. So I grew up in a farm town, but uh, home life for me was uh, pretty dysfunctional. I got a, I got a um, one older brother, and I had a father that was um, adopted. And that was back in the day when my grandmother uh, had a baby and it died at like age four. So back in those days, what they would do is be like, here's how you solve this. You give them another baby. So like they would give her a baby to help deal with the depression of the loss. Whose baby? Like, so my grandmother lost, yeah, well, like an adopted baby. My my father is a product of a woman having an affair with a, a hockey player, an NHL player. That's... Wait, back up. Who, who, who is a product of that? My father. Your father. So that's why he was given up for adoption, because Correct. it was a scandalous birth. Correct. And your grandmother had had a baby die, so it was... Uh, and the doctors... It was, a, it was a perfect storm. Yeah, the 50s, right? That was yeah. a good time. Then yeah. They made a lot of great decisions As back long then. as no blacks were involved, that's yeah, exactly. all that matters. Exactly, yeah. All the decisions were right, <laughs> if it was all white. So... Uh, so yeah, so my dad came from that environment. So he he was adopted by my grandmother. Then my grandmother had a, a real son, um, mm-hmm. Uncle Joe, who's a great guy. But the treatment completely separate. So um, they gave Joe like when well, my grandfather died, gave Joe everything, Uncle Joe everything, and then my dad kind of got like a little piece of land here or whatever. But it was always kind of like treated a little differently. And then my brother being the firstborn and me, my brother was given everything. And told how great he was. And I was just told constantly that I was a piece of shit that would never move. You know, they would never do anything with my life that, uh, you know, I was just, and I was accomplishing all these things in sports and, and I was just constantly told how lazy and how, you know, and that that's still something I obviously fight with today. So home life for me was, uh, and my father's severe alcoholic, all of us, uh, me, my brother, my dad all deal with alcoholism. And then for my mom, it was... She was like, I talk to her every day. She's a great lady. But like back then, she was just trying to survive. So if I ever came to her for emotional need or anything like that, it would be, I was always told to be a bull. So I would be getting slapped around and and told mean, mean shit from my dad. And then my mom's just like, stay strong, be strong, be a bull, you know? So like I didn't, I couldn't go anywhere for like love. You know what I'm saying? So that uh, growing up was a really tough, really tough thing, like uh, uh, anger issues from it. And um, and I think there's a direct correlation when we talk about bipolar 2 and, and, ripple, and, and rapid cycling. You see always a lot of damage in child in childhood, I think. With, oh, really? With, with bipolar 2. Yeah, I've, I've watched a few like on like Sinead O'Connor and a couple other uh, – and, and you, you see a lot of – Especially from the father's side, I think it's it's you know obviously it's very hereditary, which it comes from that line. But I think that there's a level of abuse that comes with that, and possibly just a link to the disorder. But I think there's a little, you know, it can amplify right, like a like a stereo, just turn it up a little bit louder on you, you know. So yeah, it was a very. um, I thought I was normal, but like now, like once I hit thirty and everything started to unravel, it was like that's when I was like, boy, it wasn't normal. That's not whatever normal is, right? So I was just like, wow, that wasn't that wasn't a good situation to to grow up in. And um, you know, now I've got good relationships. You know, I've got once I once I started learning about empathy, and then like I look at my dad, and he's very sweet, and his anger's gone, and all that, and he's a nice man. But is he still drinking? Oh yeah, 
Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. He's, that's he's, that's he's puzzling to me how he could his alcoholism could still be progressing, and he's not becoming more angry and bitter because almost everybody I know, or more and more sad and withdrawn. Well, the crazy thing is he was sober for years, and uh, he. My dad was a guy, a great age, great eight education, been a millionaire several times. Boom, boom. You know, he'd make it and then alcoholism would show up in a big way. Yeah, it's a self obviously self-destructive behavior, which, you know, yeah. And uh, <laughs> so uh, watching him go through that now, he seems to be somewhat happier in life, even though like the alcoholism's not as bad. I mean, he's in his 60s now. And I don't think there's as much to prove. Like his parents are now all his parents because he met his, his real parents. And then, you know, he had my, my grandparents and they're all, they've all passed. So I don't think maybe that the level of approval mm-hmm. is gone maybe, right? And so like when he drinks now, I always like, I watch my phone. It's hard being here in LA because I'll be like, oh, it's 6 p.m., which means it's nine where he is. And I'm like, oh shit, he's drunk. And sometimes I pick up, I'm like, damn it, I shouldn't, you know, I'll wait for the earlier calls and I'll talk to him there. But even at that, my, my relationship now with my father is based off of, I'm like, look, I take care of myself. So when I'm, when I want it, when I can talk to you, when I feel like talking to you, we can, we can talk and it'll be good and it'll be nice. What does your brain tell you when you don't answer the phone and it's your dad? Does it beat you up or are you pretty cool with it? Um, a bit of both, right? So like, I feel guilt because I'm not sure how much longer my dad has, right? Like it did make me cry even saying that right now, but it's like, but I just know, like, I just know that if I don't have this relationship in the right parameters, what it, how it affects me and how much it affects me. And I have to, in order for me to get for anybody else, I've got to take care of myself first. Right? Well, you clearly so, you've, you've done a lot of work to get to that point because that's not a place people, people get to naturally on their, on their own without some type of external help. Yeah, well, you know, I do. I have external help with like therapy, and I do so much stuff in a day to just like to, to keep myself in, in in a good space. But like, I mean, I, I I know like all my fears and stuff come from a lot of that that abuse as a child, and um, well, I'm sure we're all built in with fear. It's a it's the caveman brain, right? But like, I think it's you know once again, it's just it just cranks that that stereo up to ten, man. It does, <laughs> you know. <laughs> So I'm always fascinated by the uh, high-achieving athlete that comes from the terrible environment, and I always want to know the relationship between that energy not being able to be expressed in the home and wondering how what kind of an athlete that person was. Were you an angry basketball player? Were you... Um, a timid basketball player? Would you, what, what? Oh, no, I would say that I was aggressive. I was very arrogant. And that's the greatest thing I ever did was moving to the States because, boy, did that. Vince Carter was in my county. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, um, I was very arrogant and it was like, it was, I was, ex- I played every sport and I would excel at them. And, uh, I would get like that, my ego is because I wasn't getting it. No, I was never getting any pats on the back. So I was like, fuck it, I'll pat myself on the and back. You had, and you had no identity. Zero. Yeah. Kids so need an identity. Kids. Correct. Correct. Yeah. So like that was that, then that just became my life. Cause then I had the camaraderie of the, of the guys that I was playing with. Right. I had some form of discipline coming at me, which I was very resistant to like every step of the way. Would the coach bench you? 
Would you get in fights on the floor? Um, yeah, like I was mouthy. But it never came to swinging. But like I remember the regional championships. It was it was the reason I moved the states because we had like a an undefeated season, and they almost stopped the game because I was mouthing off so much to the other team, and uh, it feels like, you know, like you always want to like over explain yourself. Like I'm not that way now. Like I'm obviously I was a kid and uh, I was like 17, right? So yeah, like and I'm sure the aggression of my my playing came from like I just I had to prove myself. I had to be the best. You know what I'm saying? Because it's the only way I would get seen. Like one of the saddest days of my life was like I had one athlete of the year in in, in an elementary school and in high school. And when I won, um, won it for for my my like it's because it goes we don't have middle school up there. It's like grade one to eight. And I won it for when I won it for the elementary school. Uh, you know, my parents were like, oh, we didn't know you were up for this. I'm just like, what the? Wow, the- they just really didn't see you. And that's, you know, I mean, I played sports all years, all year round. Like, you know, so much so I've got like, I had arthritis in my knees by the time I was 20 because I would just play sports nonstop, soccer, baseball, everything. I played it all. And um, it was just constantly trying to prove myself. Did you ever get any kind of father nurturing from coaches? That's a good question. Like, I, I think about that a lot. And I think maybe that's why I was also protesting when I played because if anybody tried to give me direction or anything like that, I would, you know, I have that, you know, I'd want to push back a coach Deacon who was a guy who used to coach in California here. And I always like looked up to him. He always gave great advice and he always like took me aside and was very patient and very nice and explained things to me. And he's always like, you have those people in your life that stick up in your mind. He's always the one that always like kind of pops up in my mind was coach Deacon. Yeah. He was a really Mm -hmm. good dude. And he was like the vice president of the school and stuff. How old are you? 37 now. Okay. Yeah. Um, Do you still play basketball? Your knees too bad. Uh, I, I play every once in a while. Um, the real sad thing was when I moved to the States is that I was always a better volleyball player than basketball, even though you know, there's no professional league and everything. And basketball ended up going so poorly for me that I, I ended up getting a, asking to try out for the junior Olympic team. And I tried out and made that and ended up stopping basketball in high school and going and playing volleyball. And so like nowadays, like it's in my head, like I want to go play, I'll, I'll play beach volleyball once in a while. I'll shoot around every once in a while. But I'm good for like 15 minutes, and then it's just like everything gets sore. I'm just like, ah, I got to go. I got to put ice on these things, man, or I'm yeah. just like, they're going to swell up, and I can't walk for two weeks. So give me some snapshots from uh, childhood, uh, adolescence that, that you think kind of um, were painful, embarrassing, transformative, um, healing, or just stuck with you for some odd reason. Oh man, I've got a lot. Um, I know where my, well, there, there's a thing about my defiance about always wanting to like learn on my own. I remember being five and my, my aunt, very sweet, my, my uncle Joe's wife, very sweet lady. She was a swim instructor. And at five, she wanted to teach me how to swim and I just wouldn't do it. I'm like, no, I'm going to learn it on my own. Yeah. <laughs> that is fantastic. They're like, go to your room. I'm like, fine, I'll go to my room. But I'm not going to do this on anybody's, like, I'm going to learn wow. this shit myself. Wow. So that was, that was always my thing because, well, there's also part because like I was getting, I can, like, Paul, I can remember the feel of it of when I was, it was right around that age. So I'm not sure if it was before or after of when I was born, my grandmother, very sweet lady, gave my mom a leather strap 
about, you know, 15 inches long or so. It was meant to beat us, right? So <clears throat> I forget what I did. A lot of bad shit when I was a kid, but like we all do. But I took that. My dad hit me in the face with it really hard when he was angry. And like I have dreams about it. I still remember it. And I can still feel like the heat and the welt. Like, you know, you feel that welt come up. Did you do it more than once? Um, more than one occasion? Um, with with the belt on the face, I only took one. But I mean, I got beat, slapped around. Okay, well, I was just it. confused because your wording of it. Um, oh, sorry. I, I couldn't tell. I just wanted to know if it was a multiple thing. Not that just the one isn't enough yeah. to be <laughs> yeah. fucking horrible. Yeah. But. That, but that's like my most, uh, you, you know, I, like I said, I got beat a lot um, by both parents. But, um, uh, but that one is the one that always stuck out with me. And the most embarrassing thing, I, I was painfully shy kid. We moved to Dallas for one year and I was so shy. I was like eight. I couldn't music class. I couldn't raise my hand to ask to go to the bathroom. So I just sat there and, and I just wet myself. You know, you're not the only person I've heard describe that. I've, I've, we've had other guests talk about that. Really? I've, I've read emails from people who've described that. Um, yeah people yeah it's it's um, so the ceiling of social anxiety seems to be limitless the the lengths we will go to to avoid drawing attention to ourselves when we're socially anxious is astounding yeah, the fear of just not being accepted is so huge i think mm-hmm. you know i think for me too it was like moving there and being that painfully shy kid and um you know and then uh, I think it's, you know, as I got older, and like I said, there was there's so much verbal abuse that, like, I can remember I was tired from practicing. I was a teenager, and it was my dad just telling me, you know, how fucking lazy you are. You just sit there and eat all day, and, you know, you don't do anything, and, like, look at your brother and what he's doing. And that's when that the beatings and always remember my dad being drunk as a as a very small child is what i remember and then as a teenager i just remember being put down relentlessly yeah you know so like those those are like the two so it was just like physical up front and then very verbal in that in that in that teenage years so it you know I, i mean i can think of like so many stories that have just like what's directed me and the reason I'm so connected to comedy is I was a painfully shy kid and we have the Montreal Comedy Festival. So I would, I was tw- like 12 and I'd sit in the, in the basement and watch stand up and I would watch Rich Schneider, Richard Jenny, Tommy Davidson. I used to see Harlan Williams back when he just wore the tie and those little cut off work shirts. And I was just like mesmerized. I'm like, look what these guys are doing. So I would take, I took some initiative to like, you know, kind of like memorize some of it at 12 and then um and then try it out on uh, on people at school and, and they would start laughing and then i was just like i was just addicted to that you know that's like that thing that just allowed me to kind of come out and be start to learn that in sports allowed me to become social you know because like it, when i played sports it's like i want to lead i want to lead that's what i want to do and then comedy was a great way I, I think making people laugh is a great way of having people tr- like endear you trust you you know what I'm saying? There's something about the funny person that people can, that, that not just for laughter, but I gravitate to, but I think for multiple reasons, you know, that people gravitate towards that. So for me, that was like my big coming on. I'm just like, yeah, I can, I can be funny and I can be goofy and silly and, and get people to laugh and, and then the sports and all that. So that led to like me starting to like have my own 
try to find my own little bit of happiness in all this. You know, was your dad singled out by his dad because he wasn't wasn't biologically? Uh, it was or always, his or his mom. Was, I'm just curious as to as to why he took it all out on you. See, what I I had a talk with my dad about this because I always said I go, you're me, man. I go, you're treating me like. Like Derek's Joe and I'm you, man. I go, do you see that? You know, and I think that conversation didn't go really all well, but, um, but yeah, he, uh, they had an incident when he was like three or four, we had burned down the house. They were playing with matches behind the couch and dad burned down the place. But it was always a weird family. Like, um, they never said I loved you. They never hugged. There was no affection. And my father has a very big heart and a very, he's a very loving person and wants affection. Uh, which is, cr here's crazy. I'm sorry I'm all over the place, Paul, but like, as I think of this stuff, but like, I remember like, if I ever pissed off my dad or anything like that, he would come and be like, hey, I'll give you $20 to forgive me. Wow. So, which gives me a insane relationship with money, by the way. Uh, but he would be like, hey, here's 20 bucks. Uh, give me a hug and tell me you love me, you know? So it's like he had this really hard exterior and like this gooey center oh. and you never knew which one you were going to get. And, and was that in yeah, the peanut butter it, filled pretzels, my dad, man, <laughs> was that, uh, the expression of his bipolar disorder, do you think? Or like I, my whole thing, I think with my dad is cause my dad's undiagnosed. My brother's diagnosed. I'm diagnosed. Okay. I, we are like, I mean, I see me and my brother completely with my old man, you know, so whether he is or not, you know, what I'm saying it's not medically done, but I think it's, it's like anything like I, you, if you cover it up and, and you've had your dealings with alcohol too, or when you cover it up with a substance, you can numb that shit out for a long time. Mm -hmm. Eventually it catches you like I, and my dad's very secretive. Like he just told me that he was on medication like a couple of years ago, not even a year ago. He's like, I'm on like depression medication and stuff. I'm like, well, good. You know, like I think, and maybe that's why he's not so angry anymore. Like, I don't know. He's so, he's so busy with wanting to know, like, with, like a lot of people are, you want people to see you a certain way. And my dad's very much one of those people. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's always like, when he first met my wife, like, this is the plane I used to own. Like right away. Here's a plane I used to own. Here's me in Africa. Here's me. Yeah. This I used to go every day and give this kid a loaf of bread. He's terrified of looking unsuccessful. Correct. Mm -hmm. And correct or unsuccessful in any in any in any way, and he's always thought of himself. He's like, I'm a perfect man. He'd say things like that. He'd say, I'm a perfect man. He's like, I'm so close to being a perfect man. He would say those sort of things as a kid. Really? Yeah, that's a, fascinating. His yeah, my my and dad. By fascinating, I mean horrifying. Yeah, and if you Paul, if you met my dad, it's along with characteristics, charismatic as shit. I mean, the guy is good. Talk to anybody. And just boom and move and just like engage and people love him. And he's, he's funny unintentionally, but still funny. And he's just a, like a really engaging, charismatic guy. And it's, it's it just like you, when you see people with all these, with this big set of like a big skill set, mm -hmm. but I'm just like, like that, your, your mental block is just like, you know, like most, my dad is like, I've had to come to the acceptance of the term of just like, this is, this is who he is. I love him. He's my dad. He brought me this, you know, but just like, uh, it's a thing of just like, I'll never be able to really, you know, get through to him the way I want to. So that just came through when I was like 35 to finally be okay with that. 
as much as I can be like, I don't want to say I'm okay with it. I'm saying like, I can deal with it. You're, right? you're in acceptance of what the reality is, the, not yeah. meaning you're not yearning for something better, but you're not going to a well that you know is dry. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's stuff like that. Which like that. is like, so, you know, if you want to stop putting gasoline on your mental fire, that's a great place to begin <laughs> yeah. is stop going to a family member that is not emotionally available, that can't oh. get vulnerable, that can't see you. It's just, it's, that is a great place to start. And if you don't know how to do it, go to therapy, go to a support group. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've always said, yeah, therapy is is the key ingredient of, of all of it, you know? I mean, I've... I've listed out like all the things that I do in a day to, 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 you know, keep myself steady and, you know, everything has its place in it. I can't, I can't cure it with a pill. I can't just cure it with meditation. I can't just cure it with yoga. I can't just cure. I, they all have to be combined in order for me to be like really healthy and happy. Yeah. Me too. What are the things you do? Um, meditation. I got into the Oprah uh, Deepak things. They're wonderful. And it's got an app. I love that thing. I, th I always say that's my biggest key is meditation. Mm -hmm. I think meditation is one of the greatest ones because it's just like rapid mind, that mind, you know, that always thinks negatively and that, that back part of your brain that's constantly telling you you're not good enough. You just got to have that when you can just block that off for 30 minutes and just have silence in your mind mm -hmm. you can kind of start to see the however crazy it sounds the universe open up or whatever in your head yeah you and know slow down and slow down and you just start to i think that's probably the biggest thing i do uh i'm in the gym a lot the gym helps me with my aggression uh in a big way i can come back i'm a guy i'm not sure if, if you ever feel this way but like i can have i can have like i have to do a set in front of management and i have a letter to mail and I have to go to the grocery to pick up almond milk. All three of those for me are on the same level and I get freaked out. I'm like, I don't know. How do I get this done? Where do I go? Where do I start? And, um, so for me, like, uh, that anxiety, um, which then turns into anger and stuff like I can go to the gym and I'm reset. Boom. Therapy. I have a great therapist that I started with in Orlando. So are you saying that all of your th things on your to-do list are of equal importance until you go to the gym or are those two separate ideas? I, I, the, the idea is, is just like when I have more than one task at hand, I'm overwhelmed. I and see. they all carry a lot of weight no matter how simple the task I is. I see. And the right? gym helps you? It helps me reset. So, so it gives you more perspective on, oh, this isn't a big deal. I'm just going to go to the bank and I'll be done in five minutes. Yeah. I can go to the gym, take those things with me, put in my headphones, listen to the music that I want, and try not to listen to too much, nothing too aggressive. A lot of like, I like, like, like Lady Gaga and all that, you know, mm -hmm. or Katy Perry. Like, that's what I like to listen mm -hmm. to when I work out because it's like happier stuff. So I do that. I have a therapist because I haven't been in LA that long. Uh, I moved from Orlando nine months ago. So I still, I love my therapist back in Florida. So I just Skype with her every two weeks. That's very important. Um, I'm on 30 milligrams of Cymbalta, which has been amazing for me. And then I have to watch my caffeine intake and um, uh, uh, my food, I find that I'm very sensitive to chemicals. Mm -hmm. So, which I think a lot of that happens to people with like mental disorder. You have to like watch that, you know, we're made up of food, man. So like, you know, I have like all yeah. healthy, organic, like mm -hmm. shakes and food. And I eat so much food. It, it comes out of my ass. Is that true? Yeah. 
Okay, is there like a hole back there? Or There's something? a hole back there, and uh, Canadians don't have will, those. It will eventually come out of my butt. I think I might be eating too much. Yeah, that sounds like a. Is there? Can you see a doctor? They have. Is there a name for a doctor? I can't. That has them. Well, fortunately, the house that we moved into, one of the chairs has a hole in it. And oh. uh, yeah, I think there might Put be a like leak a above it because there's always water in it. But um, <laughs> I found that that is a great place to get rid of some of the excess food. But I got to talk to somebody about it because I, uh, I got to tell you, Paul, I've never had that issue. Yeah, not once. It's, it can't be good. Yeah, it can't I, be I'd good. Look, does it does it have a smell or a texture to oh, it? Oh, the smell is horrible, which makes me think I'm eating bad food. But it, the, the food smells fine when I'm eating it. Yeah, that's strange. Is it should does it look different? Coming, <laughs> it doesn't look like a sandwich at all. The only time it, it I ate a tootsie roll once, and I it, it got close. Yeah, it got close, but I'm baffled by it. I'm baffled by it. I got to tell you, I love really good poop jokes. Really, there, there's nothing better. My wife and I were just talking today about, do you think we'll ever not laugh at a fart? A fart, or somebody? No, you can't. I really, I really don't. But yeah, You're amazing. there's a couple of podcasts now that uh, just just, are farts? just on duty, just on duty jokes. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. Yeah. And duty stories. I mean, uh, not duty jokes because everybody's got a good shit story. Yeah. Everybody's got a good oh, shit man. story. Yeah. There's... If they're ever, I, I'll have them call my, my wife has a great one, actually. I won't yeah. share it here, but it's amazing. Okay. I was there for it. It was fantastic. Uh, <laughs> what were we talking about before? I oh, have so no food. idea. So food. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I take a lot of time. Before I ever uh, put myself on medication, I tried to go um, the holistic route first. And when that didn't happen, that's when I turned into medicine and... Because the other problem that I have is just like my friends got really angry at me for going on medication. I'm like, you don't understand. Oh, that makes me so angry. It does. I'm like, please. I go, do you take medication for diabetes? You just say, like, go ahead and lop off my legs right now. Like, the, I get, like, yes, I think there is that where we just get angry, where I talk about it a lot in my act, and there's times where, like, I just did a show Saturday. I got a little angry on stage. I had to pull myself back. I'm like, let's not get preachy. Make this funny, Ian. Make this yeah. funny. Because it does something that, that angers us. I'm just like, you got to understand, like, when we're trying to come out and be open about this and not feel shameful and guilty about this, to have to be persecuted by saying, well, you shouldn't do this. And you shouldn't. I'm just like, where are you getting your information from? And the media? Because the news does such a great job, yeah. right? Like, it's it's like, it's trying to, I'm, I always like, I have to sit and tell people. I'm just like, look, I did everything I could. I needed medication. I am in support of people getting healthy by any means necessary. And and maybe meds being one of the last resorts. And, and even at that, and even even if people just want, if they're going through our time and they just want to try, like, I, I'm a guy where I'm just like, yeah, like, because I think it's important to, to, to make the meds the last thing, unless you're in a really bad position, then just go. But because then you'll understand your body better, right? Mm -hmm. You'll understand what, what you connect with and, and what, you know what moves your mind in the right pattern, whether it be like doing your doing morning pages and writing a lot. Like for me, I have to stay creative or I'm screwed. I, I'll just, I'll start going down and I can feel it. I got a little mood app, which is awesome. And it checks. I set my time and every, you know, two hours or whatever, it asks me how I'm feeling and I can take a picture. You take a picture of your face so you can see what your face looks like when you're really feeling down, when you're happy. Really? Yeah. It's a really cool app. And I had a, I can tell you what it is because I'm sure like, I'm sure a lot of your, it's free too, or like maybe it's $2, but I'm What's sure your listeners, 
I've, I've got it here. I'm sure you're. Uh, it's called your those. fucking face. Yeah, <laughs> it's called. Yeah, it's called fuck your face. It's a really good app. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called iMood Journal. I mean, it's got like a little happy face there. So like when you pull it up, you hit what you want. Like if you're feeling very good, oh. and then you make notes and you take your picture of yourself. I mean, it's really nice. cool. Nice. And it's it's that's been amazing because I can watch. For me, I can watch my cycles. Right. So if I can start seeing a dip, I'm like, okay, what am I not doing? What do I need to add on here? You know, to to make me feel better. Yeah. You know, talking about people. Um saying oh you know you shouldn't go on meds or they're judging you for meds people don't understand that this isn't situational sadness you know and i joke all the time that thinking you understand clinical depression because you've experienced situational sadness is like thinking you understand italy because you've been to the olive garden it's just it's just you know no, i've had the breadsticks there yeah. i got it yeah i get sure. it i know what rome looks like <laughs> it's like this but a little crispier uh, <laughs> i've been to epcot center i know yeah. what europe looks like yeah i've been there uh but it's frustrating um but i you know i think the more the more we talk about it and um uh that that's always been my thing is just like i i need to open up and i need to talk as much as i can about this because and you talk about it in your act oh yeah it's my closer my closing bit is like me talking about when i got suicidal and had to call a suicide hotline that's what i like that's what i close on that's fantastic uh, and you sell merchandise after the show uh you brought me a a decal and a t-shirt and and you donate the money to nami nami yeah yeah nami 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 anyway national alliance of mental illness which is a beautiful walk here we've got a lot they had a lot of people out for it in cali great organization yeah they're amazing and um they've helped me when i was going through my and if we talk about that is like um with all that was i i was i grew so frustrated with uh just like ribbons it was just like this is the color of ribbon like nobody knows what the colors are i'm like i wanted to design my own mental illness and it came from a joke where i was just like you know what mental illness feels like i go that we need our own pin where it's just like arnold schwarzenegger holding a brain in a headlock just punching the fucking thing right like ah you know just like going at it i go that's what my head feels like so my sister-in-law is a really talented artist and i'm just like i want a brain with like a fist coming through it and uh <laughs> i want it to look like rock and roll because like i want these shirts because i wear mine out and people are like oh what is that's a cool shirt i'm like it's for mental illness man you know because yeah. i want to like that that's that's the whole point of that this project is just like because i always felt like i'm like who am i just like this road comic guy you know i'm out here now trying to like build it but i'm just like no i can make a difference at this level yeah because what happened what really had happened paul was like i had started this crazy thing happened was i ended up opening up for rosie o'donnell last year or about a year and a half ago and she was so sweet and so nice to me and i did i did a throwaway joke about being bipolar she goes is that true I'm like, yeah. She goes, you need to talk about it. What happened? I was just like, I was like, suicidal and I had to put myself in the mental ward and stuff. All right. So sit down and she starts, she's like, this is how you write it. And I went up and I tried it the next show. And uh, she was like, wow. She's like, because I was like, I don't feel right about this. The fear, because the, my thing is when I'm on stage, I don't want people thinking I'm crazy. Right? Like, I just don't, 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 don't think I'm crazy, please. You know, and it's just kind of like letting go of that. But I started doing that, and I would have people come up crying and hugging me after the show. Isn't that the greatest feeling? It's unbelievable. 
It's it's it is the true human experience. We're all connected, man. Yeah. Like but, people, uh, people would do it to me, but they wanted their money back. But it was still, <laughs> but still, it was incredibly moving. <laughs> when they hug you, they slid yes. out your wallet and yeah. pulled out a, tw- a twenty. That, and like, that, that's beautiful. Uh, and that to, to experience that in a comedy club is unbelievable. Yeah, it's unbelievable that because comedy clubs to me are like one of the least safe places in the universe to get vulnerable. And the fact that you're talking about that uh, is is a great testament to what kind of comedian you must be. I haven't I haven't seen your stand up, but uh, to be able to get that vulnerable. um, We are going to hold that thought for a second and uh, give some love to a new sponsor. Love with food. Who doesn't enjoy a box of snacks and who doesn't enjoy feeding a hungry child guess what you could do both at the same time i don't know if you can beat getting a free box of snacks and feeding a hungry child i think the only way you could beat that is if you pulled a baby out of a well and it handed you a winning lotto ticket that's probably not going to happen but this can happen let me tell you about love with food our friends at Love With with Food, uh, they want to send you a box of snacks on the house, and they also pledge to donate a meal for every box that they send out. And not just any snacks. Love With Food will be sending you uh, only all-natural, organic snacks in their boxes. No artificial flavoring or coloring, no high-fructose corn syrup, only all-natural goodness. Uh, things like in, in this uh, this month's box, the December Love With Food box is uh, chocolate sea salt caramels by Litabit Sweets, uh, Nokia Lada hazelnut spread, uh, dark chocolate coat mint slims by Goody Girl. And, uh, you know, we talk uh, a lot about doing what you can to uh, to help your, your mental health and not letting yourself get too hungry throughout the day is a really important thing. I know for me, when I go without eating, then you know my blood sugar gets low and having snacks around and smart snacks is a really good way to be nice to yourself, keep your metabolism revving. Uh, so go to lovewithfood.com slash happy hour and try Love With Food for free. You'll receive your first tasting box of eight and then more snacks next month if you sign up before the 1st of January. Love With Food. You are gonna love it. Well, I'll tell you this, Paul, when I started doing it, like I was breaking down and crying on stage because I had to add something to the end of the show. I don't, I don't close on a, I close on the suicide thing, but on my experience, but I, I close on that. I can prove immortality to anybody. That's my closing. I just have a statement. I go, I can prove immortality. Even if you're an atheist, I can prove immortality and it's how we treat one another, how we raise our children, how we treat our friends. Because when we see something good and something amazing in somebody, we want that for ourselves and we'll work on getting that for ourselves. So when you touch people's lives, when you do great things, people take that and they move it and they pay it forward. And that goes on forever. And that's our, that's, that's our immortality. And that's how I walk off stage. So when I started doing that, I would like start crying in those moments. I'm like, what am I doing? I felt shame. But then like, well, you, you felt like you were being too touchy feely or why, just like, where, where were the tears coming from or the shame? The, the, okay. Well, the, the tears came from me being, feeling purpose for the first time. My passion's comedy. My, I believe my purpose is, is spreading this word. So. So the tears were tears of joy. Tears of joy where I'm just like, I'm Okay. I'm better than I've ever been in my life. Like, I don't want you to ever feel sorry for me. And I'm not a lazy piece of shit like dad said. I yeah, was. yeah, and I'm not this Seriously. lazy piece. Yeah, I'm not a lazy piece of shit. I go, like, I'm I'm a hard, you know, I, I work very hard at what I what I have. And um, and then um, 
I remember breaking down. I did it at the Atlantis in the Bahamas. First time I tried it at a resort in the Bahamas. That's when I tried doing all that shit and just seeing the outpour and some people being standoffish. And I cried that night and I called my, my wife and I was just bawling. I'm like, what am I doing? What am I doing? Uh, you know, like these people are coming up and they're asking me and I'm like trying to like give advice. I'm just like, well, here's what I do. Like, here's the, I'm like, Brene Brown's amazing. Read this. And, uh, I'm doing all this and I'm just, I'm crying. And then the next day I'm like in this fog, I'm sitting with the other comedian, a friend of mine, Mike Hurley. And this guy's like, do you mind if I sit down? I'm like, yeah. And he's like 24. He's like, I just got to tell you, he's like, do you mind if I talk about what you talked about last night on stage? I go, please. That's why I do it. And he's like, my brother committed suicide three years ago. And there we are, like, he's like holding my hand. And I'm just like fighting back the tears. And he's just like, thank you for what you're doing. And the rush of responsibility that hit me in that moment was unbelievable. Where I was just like in freak out mode. I'm like, even more like, now what am I doing? Like this, you know, like it's, I was a comedian. Now I'm this guy where people are like, you know, embracing me and, 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 so it was, I called my therapist the next day and she's like, Ian, maybe you should do something on your website. So like that night I wrote a huge thing. I'm like, this is what I do. You know, try these things, mix and match. And then I like, I went right to work. I was just like, I need a logo. I need, you know, if I'm going to be in this, I've got to, I got to be more than just a mouthpiece. I've got to take action. So I just felt not to bounce around again, but I had this guy come up to me and this is the craziest experience. He walks up to me after my show. And this is what he says to me. He goes, do you know what Elvis Presley died of? I'm like, yeah, a drug overdose. He goes, no, I knew his cousin. He dry, he died of a lack of responsibility. He's like, you are now responsible. He's like, it's your job. He goes, if you're going to do that, he goes, it's your job to be responsible for yourself and, and everything you do. I'm just like, whoa. And you know, like wow. you start hearing these sort of things and the way these people are connecting and talking to you. I was just like, it's. I've got to tell you, like, I've never felt so amazing, like my range of emotion through all of this, because I've only been doing this particular act since February of, of this past year of really getting into it heavy and, and doing this, getting all my, my logo and stuff done. And so the emotional range of it from just tears of joy, from tears of fear, just utter fear. And even when I did my show Saturday, I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to close on that piece on that of me saying that, but I'm like, no, fuck that. No, this is my time. This is what I need to say. And this is what I want to say. You know, who is it? If anybody doesn't like it, they don't have to, but the people that do like it, the people that do love it, they can come back and see me again. Fighting through that acceptance of just like, of just being like, I want to accept myself and this is what I want to say. And so I, like I said, I still have challenges of, of getting it out there and pushing it, you know, I think that's the sign that you're doing something good because, um, I, I think the things that have us grow as people are things that get us out of our comfort zone. I think it's so rare that some great life's purpose doesn't involve, uh, you know, a little bit of nausea. Yeah. Well, it doesn't <laughs> fall on your lap, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I've been, 
I've been, my d- depression has been kicking my ass lately and my digestion shutting down and I'm not going to bathroom, you know, and it's just, it, it's a terrible, being sad and constipated is not a great combination and just daily tasks feel overwhelming and, you know, I'll have this suicidal thought here or there, but one of the things that pops into my mind is that's off the table because you would let your listeners down. And it would, oh, yeah. and it yeah, would, yeah, the level of responsibility on you. Yes, yes, you can't do that. That's wow, not, yeah. and in, and in some ways, I feel painted into a corner a little bit. Sure. But I ultimately think it's a, it's a good thing. And the urge isn't like, you know, I'm thinking all day, Jesus, I've got to kill myself. It's just a, uh, feeling cornered by my life and, sure. and like uh, nothing brings me pleasure and, or very few things bring me pleasure, you know, praying that this cup of tea is going to give me just a little caffeine boost to just lift me up, and then it mm-hmm. doesn't. Or, you know, I go to exercise, and it still doesn't get me going to the bathroom. It still doesn't, the endorphins still aren't showing up. And it's just, it feels like, like you're kind of like in a dungeon, that when is the key going to come? And when am I going to be able to to get out of this thing? But every time... I've been able to get out of it eventually. It's just how long do I endure this cycle of waiting for the next med that's going to work or oh, yeah. or whatever or getting the the um, vibrance for life back. The vi- yeah, and oftentimes it's it's getting the momentum of running more or doing whatever. You know, as you were describing to me all of these things that you do on a daily basis. I was envious because it sounds like it's not that difficult. Like you're in a groove, like you're on a bike and you're cruising at 30 miles an hour because you're doing all these things. You're going to the gym consistently. Your energy is good. You know what I mean? It's like you're in the pocket right now. Yeah, I, I don't don't let that all like I I still have my battles daily where I'll go from day to day and be like, why was I thinking like that yesterday? Why was my mind there? That's not me. Why was it there? So I'm still like, I still battle. Yeah. I'll miss a couple of days at the gym or, you know, now that I've transferred from not making all my money from stand up to driving for Uber and doing the road here and there, cause I've got to be here now. Mm-hmm. And that Uber just, stealing my soul a little bit even though i don't mind the job i'm just like i've been doing this for 12 years i just when's my and then like i start i'll feel myself starting to slide and then it it's that thing of just like okay man come on let's not what what are we going to do here to kind of like so the, the yes I, I think yes i you can say like yeah i'm in a pocket i've got the ranges kind of figured out Mm-hmm. But but I'm still, you know, I still touch bottom every once in a while being like, you know what, if I wasn't on this medication right now, I would be knocking at the door of that, you know, uh, uh, or talking on a suicide hotline again right yeah. now if it wasn't for those things. Well, let's talk about when you called the suicide hotline and you were uh, hospitalized. You, you know, start me from... Do you want the first time I was hospitalized or the second time? Let's start with the first time. The first time was... First one... time is always the sweetest, isn't it? Uh oh. Brilliant. Yeah. Uh, I was Baker acted. I had gotten... You popped your institutional cherry. Yes. Where did you pop your institutional cherry? Uh, Osceola County. 
Osceola County. And my mm. second stint was Seminole County, just north, another county north. Nice. Of- Are you going to be like one of those people that sees a baseball game at every stadium? You're going to try to be hospitalized at every county in Florida? <laughs> every county in Florida, yeah. I'm sure there's already several people that have yeah. beat me to that in Florida. Okay. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, so Osceola County. I was I was put on I was having severe depression. Uh, I was going. It was my first marriage. I was going through a really rough time, and uh, still pretty much an alcoholic. But I was like I was trying to get off the booze. I was back in the gym. Uh, I had a stint with steroids that didn't work out too good for me mentally, which kind of just made a cocktail. I got put on Depakote. Depakote and me do not get along. I was feeling terrible. I was telling my wife, I don't feel good. I don't feel good. I'm crying all the time. This isn't a good thing for me. She's like, just please stick it out. She's just worried about me. Then uh, I went out and freaked out, got drunk, became insanely suicidal with all the, the combination that I had in my body. And my wife had to call the cops. I took off running. Out fled the cops for six hours. You were one of those guys on cops. Yeah. Literally. I, you yes. were. Yes, and it was... Please tell me you had no shirt and shoes. Oh, of course. Yeah, I had no shirt on. Well, here's the great you story. You didn't! Yeah. Oh, my God! Okay. Yay! You are going to love this story. Oh, You're going to love this story so much. That warms my heart. That warms my heart. <laughs> and for people that I'm I'm 6'6", six, six, bald. I look like a prison guard or somebody in prison sometimes. So after six hours, I'm like, I got to turn myself in. So I come up, and there's a big cop and a little cop, and a little cop looks at him. And my wife's like, he's six foot six, pretty big guy, bald, beard. So here I come sauntering up, and he's like, the little guy goes to the, the little guy goes to the bigger cop because you think this is our guy. He just looks at, he's like, what the fuck do you think? <laughs> so they hand, I'm all filthy. They put me in the car. This is a true story. As I stand here, puts me in the car. He's like, cops, like, can I ask you a question? I'm like, sure. He goes, we had the helicopters with the heat sink on you. We could see your heat pattern. We couldn't find you. And he's like, it would really help us if you could tell us how you did that. I go, no problem. I said, I took my shirt off, obviously. I rubbed my body in mud and I laid in the swamp, didn't move for six hours. He's like, holy shit, that's pretty smart. I'm like, now I watched Predator like two months ago. That was what Arnold did to get rid of the Predator, right? <laughs> like, your technology sucks, man. It's like, that movie's from 1984. You need to pick it up. You waste a lot of fuel in a helicopter. So, uh, and it was it was at that point that I realized how where uh how we're treated because i mean it was just like it was where i said i, I, I say this in my two or just like i learned i was free range crazy right like i could i can walk around society and stuff and i need to go check in and then you get you get put in this locked up room and we're on all different levels right from you know in prison if, if you're a serial killer they put other serial killers but in, in those wards you know i'm there for like suffering from depression and just coming off a really bad spill with medication and stuff and there's like people banging their head against the wall and you're in there man and you're you're sleeping with them in these rooms and stuff and uh, were you afraid for your physical safety ever no no i'm always like i don't know like i'm not i don't really have like a, a fear of of that sort of thing well being six six two and in good shape i would imagine yeah like know. yeah i just don't really and you're covered in mud yeah, and I'm covered in, very Nobody, slippery at this point. People don't fuck with guys covered, covered in mud. In mud. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you look pretty hardcore at that point. So, um, but it was it was a, a crazy thing of like the food was terrible. Like they're feeding you like pizza pockets and shit. Where I'm just like, what are you 
what are you giving us? Like, this is awful, preserve, like chemical, everything. And I've always said, like, I, I talk about this too. It's just like, I don't know what it is when you, when you have, uh, when you're mentally ill that they want to give you ice cream all the time. That's the go-to move. Right, like that's that's like that brain freeze resets everything. Like, oh, great! I'll see you. I'll see you in six months when shit gets squirrely again. Right? Like, I don't understand that, you know. And I, but it was crazy how I was treated. They had a, a nursing group come in and they talked to me like I was five years old. I, I talk about all this on stage, where I'm just like, you know, they're like, you know, hey, Ian, hi. I'm just like, yeah, hi. I'm like, you want to play bingo? I'm like, no. No, I don't. I need help, man. I need to see a doctor. I don't want to play bingo right now. The prizes, no kidding. The prizes, the first prize was a Power Rangers coloring book. Prize two crayons. I'm like, you got to win them both. So you got to win bingo back to back to enjoy this prize. I'm the one. I'm the <coughs> oh one God. that's crazy. Like it was just, for me, it was such a different experience. And like, you know, you sleep on these hard, co- your throat always gets sore because they keep it so cold in there. And the walls are gray. It was like, look, that first time I came out fucking mad. I mean, mad. You know, I was like, my wife, I was like, you put me here. I wouldn't take any responsibility. I wasn't at that level where I'd take responsibility for myself and my actions. Like, you put me here, you know, and then I learned, you know, later. And then it was like, right after that, I'm just like, you know, I need therapy. I need this and that. And, um, so I had started, so like at 30, I had started the process, but kind of kept, you know, two steps forward, one step back. Right. This last time, um, I was institutionalized was, uh, you know what? Tomorrow will be a year. Really? That recently? That recently. Um, life was good. Like I got remarried. Wife's very supportive. Uh, life is going good. I bought a condo. Right by a swamp in case you needed a backdoor exit. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Which is anything in Florida is a swamp. But like I, uh, you know, like I had, I was doing really well for myself for like the first time ever in stand up and all this and all these things. And then depression came and I couldn't shake it. I could not. I've, I've never, I've been suffering from depression since I was 17. It was never like this. It was gripping. And then the thought, then I had it all planned out. I had planned out how I was going to do it and I wanted to do it. And I knew that was a sign. I called my mom and I'm like, look, I'm in a bad place. I'm not doing well. I don't want to be on this planet anymore. And, um, and I still like when you talk about being in the pocket, like even to this day, I still have those things of like, what's this all about? If I start thinking about the universe, I'm done. I got to stay in the present and I got to, you know, so I was just thinking about everything. I'm just like, so what if I accomplish, what if I help people? I go, humanity's not going to be here forever. Right? Like I start having that shit instead of pulling back and be like, just do what you can now, man. But I, I just, it was so gripping. I, there's nothing I could do. I was in the hole, man. And there was no light at the end of the tunnel. And my mother was the only one I felt like I could turn to in that moment. And she's like, you call the suicide hotline right now. Like, do it now, please, Ian, for, for me, please. I'm like, okay. And that's when I, I called the suicide hotline. They gave me the information. I'm just like, I told them, like, they go, what do you want to do? I was like, I want to go to Home Depot, right? Which is like, when you're depressed, that is like the worst place because you can kill, you can off yourself in every single aisle in Home oh. Depot, right? Like, it's all, <laughs> oh, table saws are on sale, right? So, <laughs> Like it's, it's just an awful place for you. Cause I was like, I was, I, my whole process was like, I was going to get like dryer hose and duct tape off the exhaust, run in the back of my Honda Civic and just go to sleep. 
that was my that was my way of doing it. I wanted like a more peaceful way to go. So we talk and she's like, I go and I had a hard time like getting up getting a booking with a psychiatrist. Like, you know how like I've even been bounced around out here a bunch trying to get help. And um so she's like, Look, you can got you've got you're in Seminole County, you can go there. It opens, you know, at seven AM. Just please check yourself in. I call my wife and I say, Things are are really, really bad. I need help now. I went, signed the release, put myself in there, and I got a better evaluation. Like the, the nice thing I like about the county is just like I talked to like five or six people, and they're all making notes about what's going on with me, what's everything, rapid rapid cycling, hypomania, all that shit's happening. So it's like, all right, you know, we're gonna put you on thirty milligrams of of Cymbalta. You know, um, you know, we need you to look at your lifestyle adjustments. And I'm like, well, I've, I've, I've done all that. Like I've, I've cleaned everything. I've cleaned house and I'm still not right. And they put me on that Cymbalta and it was like a week later, I felt great. But that I looked at, it was a crazy thing, Paul. Cause like we go in there, I signed myself in and then we're in the waiting room to go into like the big lock room, right? This big, big, big black guy named Demario, who is the sweetest man who also, by the way, suffers depression, which a lot of those people that work there do. It's so crazy. And there's people just screaming and yelling and going nuts. And me and my wife look at each other. I'm like, I think maybe we'll just, you know, and Demario is there. Demario is my size, but big, like a big man. And he's like, you ready to go in, man? And me and my wife smiled at each other and hugged. And she's just like, it's still an experience, you know, just go in there and, and, and do what you can. And, go in uh, there and get a bit out of this. Yeah. Yeah. Go in there and write the best five minutes you've ever written Ian. please for the love of God, you, you have not written a new joke. You in so will long. make so many drunk people out for fun. Uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> you will tighten so many assholes in one room at a time <laughs> so, so i went in there and i was just like all right and that helped so much with perspective for me too so coming just being like in that environment seeing people on on that level uh, you know i came out I, I went and got my prescription right away and then i was just like my wife just stayed with me the whole time and i'm just like you know get me out of this house. Like, let, let me get in the sunshine. Like I, I've got to, you know, I've got to fight. Like, you know, how hard it is like depression to fight, to get out that door to, to, for me to get out of bed. Yeah. Oh, to get out of bed is, is uh, your bed car challenge. idea was the most, <laughs> me and my wife laughed so hard at that. We're just like, I'm telling you. but yeah, it's, it's that thing of just like, how do you, cause it's just like, there's no, there's no energy to do it. There's nothing. None. None. And it's just, it's brutal. It's brutal. And that's where like, you know, when I do talk about this on stage and the people that come up to me, I don't get what I'm trying to talk about or don't, and it becomes frustrating because mm -hmm. I'm just like, you just don't, you're not trying to understand. I go, would you tell somebody with cancer to just fucking kick it? Babe, stop it. Get rid of the tumor. What's wrong with you? You can't, it's the same thing, but we don't, we don't yeah, ever want Changing wanna... your attitude helps. But it will not cure mental illness. It will and not cure any more than squinting really hard will help you produce insulin. Yeah, and I tell I tell I'll tell the audience every time I go a hundred percent. You are affected by mental illness, even if you don't know it. You just don't know it. The ripples are so far reaching. You so know, far. Even if you're a super conservative person who's emotionally shut down, it benefits our country economically 
to fund help for mental illness. People would be more productive at work. There would be less um, violent behavior, less acting out behavior, less uh, dishonesty, you know, if it was a safer a safer place to say, you know, I'm I'm hurting or I can't come in to to work today cuz you know, I can't get out of bed or Yeah, isn't it it's I don't I like my parents' generation brushed that shit so much under the rug and the ripples. I'll tell you this, why I'm so optimistic. The young people nowadays, like when I go to clubs, the people that are coming to talk to me are like 21, 22, 23-year-olds. Like I'm getting older people too, obviously, but they're reading Brene Brown at 20. They're going into the mental illness field. They are more, com- they're the most compassionate, intelligent generation I've ever seen. It's pretty amazing. And I think they're activists. They are ready, I think, to, to start changing the world a little bit. And because like I've always said, like the generations, like my generation above, they want to raise money for pit bulls and tits. If I can be honest, like mm-hmm. people get mad at me. I say this on stage too, where I'm just like, do you want to know why we raise so much money for those? Because we like playing with them. They're sexy. They're sexy. We can raise money. I'm like, colon cancer kills four more times people than breast cancer. There's no walks for that. I go, my point is that we shouldn't, like, obviously we need both those things. I, I, right. I helped run a pit bull rescue and my aunt uh, has breast cancer right now. Like, I want money going to those. But I go, let's let's really stop this whole bullshit of what makes us feel good. And let's actually work together as like a, a culture, as humans to say, we have got a massive problem. Let's stop. Let's take gun control off the docket right now. Let's not talk about gun control. Sorry, but like my, my view on that is like, yes, it needs to be done. But I'm like, that's a secondary issue. Off to the side, mental illness. Absolutely. Mental illness, mental illness, mental illness. I would I would love to see an artist, some type of visual artist, to be able to do an art piece that shows the ripples of untreated uh, mental illness and addiction and everything that it affects in our lives. It. I don't know how they could go about doing it, but it. anybody, they, I think they would obviously have to be somebody who who has it and has an understanding of socioeconomics, but it, um, I would imagine a social worker or a therapist, um, would, would be able to, but there's, we need to bring something in front of Congress to show them how much it's damaging, uh, the earth to, to, to put this in the backseat, to not make it a major priority. Yeah, I, I don't really understand. I have a question for you. You brought that up earlier about like your thoughts of suicide with the show. Does that ever make you angry about the show? Like about having no. a podcast? You never feel anger towards it? No, no, okay, no, cool. no. This this podcast has given me. I'm just talking like in that so in that moment. In that moment, no, I'm not angry. I just feel a little bit of just sadness that that, that option's not the there. Okay, um, but right. I know intellectually that's probably a good thing. It make it would make that decision harder for me. This is not something I think about a lot when I'm when I'm in a rut like I'm in now. Maybe I'll think about suicide twice a day, mostly when I'm about to do some task that feels overwhelming. Mm-hmm. It could be folding laundry. Okay, you know it could sure. be you know something is having to return an email, um, but it's usually around getting out of bed. 
because this panic kind of seizes me. And I think one of the things that's also kind of bugging me lately is, um, you know, I went to see my psychiatrist. He said, well, we can try this thing or we can try this thing. So I picked A and it made my constipation worse. Oh, no. It, it, and so now I'm like, okay, that, that one, and the sexual side effects are horrible. And so I'm like, this one is not for me, but he's already on vacation for Christmas. So I email him and it goes to some doctor who's covering for him. We're missing each other with phone calls and he's really basically not available. So that waiting game of waiting to even try the second med, which may or may not even work. It's, it's like, um, it's just like waiting on a train platform for, you yeah, know, you're in the desert in the middle of nowhere. There's no trains coming, and there's you're not no even trains. sure if this next train that's coming is the train you're going to be able to get on. That, And it's just, so you just endure. You know, you just, I know I'm telling you, I know you understand what, what this is, but that's the place I'm in right now. And so I just try to focus on the on the things that that are okay. Sleep, my dogs, my wife's face, you know, um... My video game. I'm like, it's okay to go numb myself out. Watching the Blackhawks, you know, the things that that bring me comfort. Watching documentaries. I got to say, between midnight and four, I feel pretty good because there's no pressure. I, I, being out in the backyard. I haven't picked up our dog shit in a month, and it's just a fucking. That's one of my duties around the house, and. I haven't been able to bring myself to go do that for a month. And when it's between midnight and four, that's not possible to go pick up dog shit. It's not possible to return phone calls. It's not possible to do all these other things. So it's like a get out of jail free card for me. I think that's one of the reasons why I'm a night owl is because I know it's okay to be watching documentaries right now. You're, you're, this is what people do between midnight and four it's it's that that feeling when i when people are in their productive day that i really feel like a gargoyle like a sloth like a just a just like a weak like a weak person who's who's using their mental illness to justify their laziness hmm. and if you were telling me what i'm telling you i would say you need to be more compassionate with yourself you i can tell you but I have trouble believing it when it's me. Well, I think like, first of all, just like, I'm so sorry you're going through this right now, man. Like my heart hurts when I hear anybody going through this because like, I know that, I know that feeling and I know how shitty it is, man. And I just, you know, and I see people with mental illness. I find to be some of the sweetest, most compassionate, some of the most intelligent people I've ever met. And they're so endearing and thought felt. And it just, it breaks my heart because with all those powers those superpowers comes this other side of it that is just so debilitating and hard to move through man so you know well, thanks, i mean I'm, I'm really sorry you're going through All this right, right now well thank Paul. you i, I appreciate just, that you know i know where you are man and it's just i could cry right now but uh you know i know you make it through the other side man it's uh, i do too i know i know i will and that's one of the really nice things like when my friends in my support group ask me, how you doing? I say, you know what? The holidays are kicking my ass. I don't know if it's the holidays, but just this time of year. It is. This year is kicking my ass. And I say, but I've been through it before. 
you know, I'll, I'll get through it. It just sucks. It just sucks when you're, when you're in it, but it, it's nice to feel felt. So thank you for, for feeling me and, uh, you know, no, I know I, where you are, man. Yeah. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. When you have the support group, that camaraderie of just like, you know, like, like what you, you put like in the email before I come here of just like, just, this is about like understanding, you know? And I, I've always said, like, I always take the road. Like when I hear stories of just like, I just want to intake it. I just want to hear it and let it hit me the way it hits me. And then, you know, just express the feeling, you know, I, there's nothing that I can tell you that you haven't heard a million times or anything like that. It's just. Dude, a lot of I'm times so I think it's just the shame around being stuck. Yeah. And I think right, talking yeah. about it sometimes and, and um, just hearing the words come out of your mouth, you, you can maybe realize how ridiculous that mean voice in your head is. Isn't that amazing you, of yeah. just like, of just like speaking it out or even writing it down. I find just like it's it, that release of that can be mm -hmm. kind of like, I've yeah. always find like, I'm a guy, I'm not sure if you are, but I'm like, I'm a crier. I'll cry two or three times a week. And it's like, especially living in LA now where I'm just like battling out here and it's just like, I cry and then I'm just like, Whew. Oh, I love the feeling after I cry. It's, it? it's like, it's, it's euphoric. The, it's, it's your soul taking a dump. It's the yeah, best. Blowing a load. That's just a, sitting on yeah. your chair with that hole under it and that soul yeah. is going, here we go. <laughs> this is what it's like, Paul. Here we are, buddy. <laughs> Do you uh did you bring any fears or loves? I sure did. Let's do some. All righty. I've got them. I didn't I'm trying a new thing where like I I'm old school where like I write everything on a piece of paper. Me too. So, yeah, so like now I'm trying to do it in an iPhone and it feels so unnatural and so awful to me. I'm like it's yeah. funnier if I'd write it on a piece of paper. Yeah. Do you want to do that? I loves or I fears first. Yeah, let's do uh, some fears. Ooh, I'll have to scroll down a little bit. Um uh, first one, I'm afraid of success because, uh, when it happens, I think I'll go back to my bad habits. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Give me another one. I'm afraid of being eaten by a shark. I don't know what that is, <laughs> but honestly, like, uh, if I'm two feet in the ocean, like they can still attack right now. Like I could die right now. <laughs> uh, you want me to keep going? Yeah. I'm afraid that this planet is very close to being done with the human species. I have that one. Uh, I'm afraid of ending back up in the mental ward, even though they have Reese's peanut butter ice cream there. <laughs> one of my loves is Reese's peanut butter ice cream. That's on the love side, so that one's already taken care of. Um, uh, I get this a lot. When I'm really in the pocket with myself and I feel good about myself, I'm afraid that I'm not who I really think I am. Wow, that is deep. Right? Like That is deep. Yeah, that to me is just like who am I that, or am I this right now? Is like, this just the is just this the intermission from the the movie where, uh, or is is my life the the intermission? And this is this is just the phony fictitious movie. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Is this is this just the uh, is this that rose colored colored yeah. lens over the screen? Yeah. Right. Uh, I'm afraid of my anger, as my wife calls me, the emotional Hulk. That's my nickname <laughs> around the house. Uh, I'm really afraid whenever I hold a baby because I'm always scared I'm going to drop it. Uh, I know people who are afraid that they're going to smash the baby's head, that there's something's going to overcome them and they're like going to throw oh, it I've off a bridge it. or a balcony. Yes, or under I've had a bus. that too. Balcony. It's so I have my little baby and I'm just like, what if I throw this over a balcony? Yeah. Okay, I'm glad somebody else said yeah. that. All right. Um, 
I'm really afraid of like getting old. I just like when I see that guy taking like six hours to cross the street, I'm like, I never. Yeah. Or just like, I, I don't know. Uh, I'm really afraid of my <laughs> wife dying too. When I see that guy crossing the street, I, I think maybe I shouldn't be eating broccoli. <laughs> I'm just like, we know I'm just like, yeah, for me, I'm just like, I need to hike more because that guy obviously never hiked. <laughs> there's, there's like, he was a coal miner. I could give myself, I'll give him his backstory while he's walking. I'm like, that guy was a welder in Pittsburgh. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's a hard job. He's working in the smelt factory, smelling all that shit. Like, there's a lot of reasons why he can't make it across the street in under 20 minutes. Oh and I've done none of those things. So hopefully at 80, I'll still be like Jack LaLanne or something. Um, give me, give me one more fear and then we'll do some loves. Okay. Uh, let me see. I've got, dude, I wrote like 30 of them. Um, uh, let's see. Okay. I'm afraid that I will always judge others no matter how hard I try not to. That's a bad That's a good me. one. That's yeah. a good one. I don't think we ever stop completely judging people. I think we just get better at catching ourselves and seeing what we're projecting the projection, yeah. Projecting, yeah. man. It's projection, man. That's one of the most helpful tools is understanding what your fears and self-loathing looks like so that it's more obvious when you're projecting on other people and, and being in resentment. That has been the biggest gift for me of recovery is being able to... Understand your own projection. Yeah, and to, and to go to a place of compassion... Uh, quicker and easier and in a in a way that is genuine because i can't get there intellectually i can't go you shouldn't judge people no if i'm fucking really angry and i'm in that blind space the blackout the the, the, the intellect thing yeah intellect intellect doesn't matter has nothing to 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 do with that but um yeah the, the more tools i get the easier it is to not even feel that first rage to just go there's another sick child of god yep yeah, and that thing about two is just like with, we talk about anger. I always love that. I talk about it too in the sense of being a secondary emotion. Fear is not real, man. Fear is like, fear is obviously real, but it's like, it's hiding something. Fear is there. That's your guardian, man. That's the guy with the shield. That's the bouncer at the door for you. Mm-hmm. You just can't let the bouncer get back and get on the turntables, you know? Um, <laughs> I love, <laughs> I love uh, waking up early. Um when the sun comes up because like I'm still optimistic about the day I'm like mm. like my early mornings are really what important what time do you me. get up well because I do the Uber about 4.30 wow yeah I'd, I do love when the when the sun comes up in the morning I just can't get up to appreciate it to but appreciate it yeah early morning is so peaceful it's the peacefulness yeah even in LA you get here at like 6 a.m. the sun's coming out there's still nobody on the roads mm-hmm. it's really cool especially when it's a winter day and it's already like 60 out Yes, yeah, that's yes. nice and it's sunny. Yeah, like I've really enjoyed that out here. Um, I love seeing vanity plates. I don't know why. Like, I just think it's because I'm like, that guy's definitely a bigger douchebag than I am, right? Like, there's something about seeing vanity plates where it's like yeah. number one guy. I'm like, ah, yeah. God, I love, I love that you are that arrogant yeah. and so blinded. Like, I just, there's something amazing to me about those really crazy vanity plates. My my favorite one, and I used to do a joke about this, was I saw one and it said "Idea Man," and I thought, "How good are your ideas if that's one of them?" <laughs> oh, that's awesome! <laughs> that vanity plate being one of those ideas. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, I love uh, teeny bopper pop music. I, I can't get enough of like yeah? 
Lady Gaga, Katy Perry, um, uh, Ariana Grande. <laughs> I listen to a lot, but I also listen to like, but I also love like, I, I love everything, but I'm really weird about that. Here's one that I love. Cause I think a lot of the people like, I love going to Whole Foods cause I feel more important there. I feel better about myself at Whole really? Foods. I feel, yeah. I feel like I'm taking better care of myself when I'm at Whole Foods. I feel like I'm, do like, you feel superior when you're there? Is that what you mean? I'm not sure like superior, but I feel like I'm a part of something better. Right. Oh, okay. Like when I'm kind of broke right now and I'm in there, like I'm playing the game like everybody else. I'm like, yeah. Things are going good. I can pay eight <laughs> bucks for a head of lettuce like all you assholes, right? Like, I don't know. <laughs> um, uh, what else do I love? Um, here's a, I love my wife's compassion and support, even though I'm bothered by how much she cares. Why does it bother you how much she cares? Why do you, like, for me, it's like, why do you give such a shit about me? Like, I'm not worthy of this. Obviously, I'm not worthy about it. You know, like, I'm not worthy because look at my... You know, so it's like trying to hone in and seeing I do deserve this relationship. I do deserve her love and compassion and her understanding and her empathy and her support. But it's I mean, that's like that's a work in progress all the time. And like out here, like it's just like I'm just like, you know, I don't know what it is. Like I want her to like hug me and touch me. I'm like, get away. Don't touch me right now. I don't want to be touched. I'm like, I turn into a six year old. Don't touch me. I'm going to go outside. She goes, give me a kiss and tell me you love me. I'm like, no. And I'll do that shoulder thing. No, no. Like it's just, it's, it's, um, uh, what are some other, what do I have here? Uh, I love experiencing something new when I start off knowing that I'll absolutely hate it. Like, my wife will pull me to something where it's just like, oh, let's go see this musical. I'm like, musicals are stupid. I don't want to go. And then I'll go. I'm like, oh, that was really good. Really? Like, so I like that. Like, my whole thing nowadays is trying to be more open-minded, even though it becomes tougher as I get older, where I'm just like, new experiences, Ian. If it's a new experience, you just got to say yes and try it and see if you like it. No matter how hard it is to put on those shoes to get out the door to go, just give it a shot. Give it a shot because you don't know. And I think like that... Uh, people like laugh and stuff like when I'm just like, well, have you tried it? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I did this. I'm like, ah, oh, it's dumb. Dude, like, you would be a great life coach. You think? Yes. Oh, wow. You Thank you. That's a huge compliment. You would be a fucking man. great life coach because you're like, you're like firing me up just to, oh, really? just, oh, yeah, man. just oh, like so talking cool. about this and, and that's your so open-mindedness great. and you got tools. Uh, yeah. And you, and you have an energy that is, um, Contagious. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah I got. Yeah, this is my mom. I'm not, I'm not done, but you're a douche. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. I was I was going in such a nice direction there for a while. I meant to say an ironic life coach. Uh, you yeah, would be a like, an ironic, ironic life coach. Oh, life is going to be so great for you. <laughs> no, but, but seriously, man, it, it, it uh, yeah. Because, you know, like, I'll tell you, like, one of the greatest things that I ever did in my life uh, was become a minimalist. The less I own, the happier I've become. I agree. I've just, like, I'm like, I got a car, a studio apartment, and I got maybe three drawers of clothes. And that gives me, like, like especially for, like, us, it's a repression. If you give us, like, if, if I had a boat and three motorcycles, I was like, I got to change the oil and all this. Like, yeah. I would have complete meltdowns. Mm-hmm. So becoming a minimalist and understanding of just, like, my happiness relies in no objects. Mm-hmm. It relies in myself. And so it's like... I've had I've had good jobs when I was younger and buying big things and nice things and 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 just feeling immediately empty after buying them, you know, and just mm-hmm. be, and then going through 
you know, months of working on all this shit and dumping money into it. And I'm just like, who is this for? Is this for me or for others to see? Like, I've got to start answering. That's what I think. Like, I've always, I say that, like, mental illness can be a superpower in the sense of, like, you have to work so hard on searching for yourself and finding yourself that it actually, like, you kind of get i don't want to say yeah i'll say it like an advantage point against humanity if you can if you can find the things that work and you can harness it mm-hmm. right i mean you get a leg up on society you know i take a look at like my writing my creativity i'm just like all right man this is where this comes from so guess what you are going to have to do 2 hours of work every day so you can walk out that door and be a part of this be a functioning member of the society you are going to have to do these 2 hours of things so that you can get out there and be, and i used to be mad about it yeah, I'm still in that place. I'm still You're resentful still, like, that resentful. I gotta meditate. I gotta. You're in that spot, you know, right? I gotta. I'm just. Yeah, I think it's too when you hit that low because you just don't have the energy to do it, and so you just. Yeah, I think in many ways I'm just kind of the pouty little eight year old boy that's got his lip out sure. and is going, "I'm not gonna do it. I'm gonna play my video game." Yeah, you know, I'm yeah. not gonna go running. Cause yeah. I got a belly full of poo. <laughs> I got I got a whole belly stirring up full of poo. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's I was I've been there, man. I know that where I've just like I was just like fuck this. Like I'm, you know, I've like why me? I got the why me's really really bad in that in that in mm-hmm. that moment that I had. And then I said, why me? Because I'm fucking strong enough to do it. Because I can because wow. I can pull myself out of this, and I can I can I can do something better for this world and for people. And, um, I can help, I can help. And, um, no matter how good I get, I'm still battling, but I, my vantage and it, it is, is, is like just better. Like I'm just, I just, I, I can see things more clearly and be a more positive mm-hmm. influence on. I feel like people. it's a mental illness is a forced gym membership. And if you, man, what a great analogy. Yeah. What a beautiful analogy. Yes. A forced membership. Get in there, man. Fucking so who likes doing legs? Nobody. Nobody. Guess what today is? Legs yeah. day, yeah. right? <laughs> squats, squats. You got to do squats today. Yeah. <laughs> give me, give me one more love. Oh, let me pull her back up. What do I got for loves? Um, uh, something new. I love going to Whole Foods. Oh man, um, one of my my biggest loves is I love. Uh, when I look for anything in friends, my, my tube, it's, it's my love is I love, I love laughter and I love deep conversation. Those are the two things that I can live off of with for friendships. So it's like, if we want to sit and talk about what was on cosmos last night and then kind of joke around about it, that's like, that's love, man. That's like, that's one of like the greatest experiences for me. You know, I I completely agree. I completely agree. Well, Ian, thank you so much. I'm really glad you contacted me, and uh, I'm I'm really glad we got to to hear your your story. And it was just really nice to to talk with you. Uh, it, this has been a beautiful. Yes, I love what you do. It has such importance, Paul. And this is such an amazing thing. And this, I'm sure you see the emails that come in. How many people you're touching and the lives you're moving right now, and you're so vulnerable and honest. And that's such a beautiful thing, man. Yeah. Really I actually, is. I just send them all right to junk mail. That's good. Well, you know, hey, we all yeah. have our. <laughs> yeah, the people that listen to the show are fucking crazy. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, buddy. Thanks, Paul. Many, many thanks to uh, to Ian. I really, uh, I really enjoy that. I just love meeting somebody for the first time and um, 
just getting to connect with them so deeply for an hour and a half. And then as I walk out, turn to them and say, you're dead to me. I enjoy that turnaround. I love that. And then to be able to, when they look at me with just disbelief in their eyes, to point at them and, and say, you're a sucker. You trusted me. I love that. I love that feeling. And then peeling away, uh, having the smoke come off the tires of my GTO. <laughs> Actually, the, 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 the most ridiculous part of that is that I would ever have a GTO. Actually, if I were to get a muscle car, that's that I would, I would probably want a GTO. That would be the top of the list. So I'm going to take that back. I'm going to take all of this back. Wow. Let's get to the surveys. Oh, before I do that, um, I want to remind you there's some different ways you can support the podcast if you feel so inclined. You can support us financially, which is really important to the show. Uh, you can give us a one-time PayPal donation or my favorite, a recurring monthly donation that helps keep the podcast afloat. Um, just go to the website, click on PayPal, and, uh, and then you can uh, be a monthly donor for as little as five bucks a month. Once you set it up, you don't have to worry about it. And uh, it means the world to me. You can also support us by, when you shop at Amazon, enter through our search portal. Amazon will give us a couple of nickels. doesn't cost you anything. Um, and you can support us by buying a coffee mug or a t-shirt. All of that's available at the website. And by uh, you can support us non-financially by going to iTunes, writing something nice about us, giving us a good rating, or spreading the word through social media. All of that stuff uh, definitely helps. Um, let's get to the surveys. This is, uh, from the survey, sexual abuse or violation of young male by older female. I don't think that title is long enough. I'm going to see if I can stretch that out. Uh, this is filled out by Bob and he writes, I was 12. She was in her twenties. She got into my bed, pulled down my pajamas and masturbated me until I ejaculated. I didn't tell anyone and it had an effect on me. Um, if feelings that come up remembering it is shame. Uh, do you feel any damage was done? Yes. Um, and he was raised in a stable and safe environment, and um, he was a victim of sexual abuse outside of this event as well, and uh, he never reported that. Um, and he is currently a, a male straight in his, uh, in his 40s. Thank you for sharing that, Bob. Um, this is, if you ever want to really get yourself pissed off when there are those stories in, uh, online news stories about the teacher, you know, the hot 20 or 30 year old teacher having sex with the, you know, the 13 year old boy, read the people's comments. Uh, it will, it will make you, as Phil Henry says, make you tighten your jaw. It's, uh, it's unbelievable. This is an awful moment filled out by a, a guy who calls himself Sky King. And he writes, One Monday earlier this year, I called in sick to work with a bad back. The pain was bad enough that I didn't think I'd, uh, I'd have been able to even sit upright for eight hours, let alone perform the physical tasks that had been required of me. I spent the day stretching and taking hot baths to relax the muscles. By the end of the day, I could move without much pain, and I was preparing for bed when a friend called. I've been playing trivia at a bar with this friend weekly, and I made the questionable decision to go out. That night, the bar was hosting a band. It was a heavy black metal band, and the crowd was rough and loud, much louder than the trivia host, but we were able to play in between songs and during the frequent intermissions if we shouted. Trivia ended, and we won a $20 bar tab. I was going to order shots when I saw at the end of the bar none other 
than my boss's boss, dressed all in black, holding a pint and looking right at me. Ours was not a new-fashioned, laid-back, easy-going company. Ours was an old-fashioned, strict, time-is-money company, and he was my employer. I was happy at first in the way one is when one sees an acquaintance out of context, then mortified in the way one is when one realizes his mistake. Suddenly, my back hurt again, but now it felt like an affectation. While I had brought this upon myself, it was worse to know how it looked to him. I hadn't lied. I hadn't been... It hadn't been a lie. It had only been a truth followed by a terrible judgment. We spoke only briefly, shouting over the music, and I left my friend to the rest of our tab. I kept my head down and avoided him the next day and every day thereafter. I was still experiencing mild pain, and every time he saw me stretching my back, I felt like a bad actor. When he finally caught up with me about a week later, he looked very stern, and I braced mentally and physically for what Paul F. Tompkins aptly describes as, quote, getting yelled at. But to my surprise, all he said was, I can't believe pints there are only 250. Oh, I love those moments when you think it's just going to rain down and and there's nothing. Uh, most of the time, people are busy thinking about their own bullshit. This is a uh, shame and secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself Johnny. He is in his 20s. He's pansexual, and he was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. He was the victim of sexual abuse, and he never reported it. I was seven, sleeping over at a friend's for the first time. My friend, his name was Jeremy, also seven, acted weird all night, giving me a sort of leering look whenever sleeping arrangements were mentioned. We shared a bed, and once his parents had gone to sleep, Jeremy began touching me and told me to take off my clothes. I was just so confused and thought this was something people did regularly that I had just never heard of. I stripped down to my underwear, but he wanted me to take those off too. He said that he wouldn't be my friend anymore if I didn't comply. I started crying, but took them off. I remember him touching me, but then I have a big blank. Looking back, Jeremy was probably a victim of sexual abuse and was doing just what he'd been taught. Um, ever been emotionally abused? Uh, my mom was just very invalidating when I was young. My brother is autistic and was a real handful, so she had zero patience for issues with the normal kids, me and my sister. Uh, I was often told to stop being so dramatic, even when I poured my heart out. I confessed at 10 years old that I kind of wanted to die, and this was dismissed as a ploy to distract her from my poor grades. Years later, when I quit, drink quit drinking, she congratulated me and told me how proud she was, but a week later, she was telling me to pull myself together and cheer up. I know this kind of thing came from a place of love. She's been struggling to control her own emotions her whole life and probably wanted to spare us struggle by encouraging self-discipline. It doesn't really work like that, of course, and I just ended up having zero trust in my intuitions and emotions. On the upside, that feeling of lacking a compass spurred a passionate interest in philosophy, which has stuck with me into adulthood. So, you know, there's that. It's um, no coincidence how frequently I read stories of people being taken advantage of sexually um, who kind of uh, experience the very common thing of freezing during it. Um, and those people so often were raised in an emotionally abusive or invalidating environment. And, um, they're, you know, which just, 
I'm always saying the the ripples of emotional abuse and emotional neglect and uh, etc. in childhood are is so far reaching. I mean, um, obviously the whatever. I'm talking too much. Continuing with his survey, um, any positive experience with your abusers? No positive experiences with him, really. But when I asked my friends at school if they'd slept at Jeremy's house, they all said the same thing had happened to them. I remember they didn't seem bothered by it. They talked about it like it was going to see your girlfriend's family, just this mildly unpleasant chore that everyone has to deal with at some point. Hence my lifelong conviction that society is insane and that people determine their morality on the basis of a sort of warped herd instinct. Uh, Darkest thoughts. Before I began treatment for major depressive disorder, I really believed on some level that there's no such thing as happiness. The world is absurd and painful, and we, the only apes with the supreme misfortune of having evolved consciousness, have developed an ability to deceive ourselves into believing it's not so bad, and that big deception is called happiness. I don't know if I still believe that. It just seems like a silly question to wrestle with since I started on the antidepressants. Darkest Secrets. When I was still an active addict, I met up with this 17-year-old girl at the tail end of an acid trip. Uh, I was 22 and knew I couldn't possibly have sex with her, but I still felt so unbelievably love-starved and she was so adoring that I brought her back to my car and made out with her for a couple of hours. It was clear that she had romantic intentions, whereas I just needed someone to like me for a few hours until the pot took over from the acid and I could go home and get to sleep. I've since gotten to know this young woman. She's a survivor of sexual abuse herself and one of the kindest people I know. I feel like a real piece of shit for having led her on, even to this day. I think you're being way too hard on yourself. You sound like a really fucking sweet guy. Um, Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you, dominating a woman, even being kind of degrading. My current girlfriend is the first woman I've ever fucked who didn't think it was hot to be called a whore or a slut during sex. Uh, sharing that is kind of weird because I work with an organization that assists survivors of sexual assault. I'm a consummate professional and mind all appropriate boundaries with clients, but it's still pretty weird. Um, I'm assuming that you ask your girlfriend if she likes to be, you know, called names because that would, that, I don't know, that, that seems like that would be a, not a good thing to just break out, uh, during sex without some, without some kind of feel for is whether whether or not they're they're into that but you sound like a a a guy who uh knows that uh what if anything would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to i wish i could just open my whole soul and let my girlfriend walk around inside it for a while that is such a beautiful sentence that is such a beautiful sentence i just wish i wish i could just open my whole soul and let my girlfriend walk around inside it for a while I feel like one day she'll realize how damaged I am and leave me. If she could really see everything about me and still loved me, maybe I could have more confidence in that love lasting. See, I think, yeah, I think if if people could really truly walk around in our souls, they would, in our soul is, I, I think, is the stuff that's the most, I think that's where all the beauty lies. I don't think, I don't think anybody could walk around in somebody else's soul and, have a bad experience. I think it's all the stuff that gets, all the trauma that gets laid over the top of the soul that 
we experience as unpleasantness from, you know, or toxicity from, from somebody else. Um, God, that would be awesome to be able to just, I don't know. Um, have you shared these things with others? I told a previous girlfriend about the abuse and she just kind of sort of stared at me. My current girlfriend, when I told her, held me while I cried and was completely accepting and understanding. I've never felt so unconditionally loved as in that moment. That's so beautiful. That is so beautiful. And anybody who's a loved one of somebody who has experienced sexual trauma, I cannot overstate how healing that can be to just witness that person's pain and and hold them and let them cry and let, let them know that you're there for them and that you're sorry that they're in so much pain. Um, and to not try to fix them. This is an awful moment filled out by uh, a woman who calls herself Mother's Fucking Happen. She writes, one day I received a call from my mom. She was casual, asking how I was, etc. And in the course of the conversation, she starts hinting to me that one of my close family members had recently been diagnosed with MS. She couldn't come out and say it directly because she wasn't supposed to tell anyone. But being as she uses me as her emotional punching bag, she couldn't either resist telling me. The news itself was bad enough, but the best part is she claims she wanted me to know so that I shouldn't feel so bad about being suicidally depressed and anxious because at least I was physically healthy. Can't make this shit up. Fan-fucking-tastic. This is uh, by Nathan, and uh, he is straight in his 30s, raised in a totally chaotic environment. And... Uh, He was the victim of sexual abuse, never reported it. He's been physically and emotionally abused. Any positive experiences with your abusers? In my mind, the good aspects have long ago become parables without much emotional import, while the person in question is essentially disregarded as a human being worthy of attachment of any kind. Uh, How true this is is up for debate, but it's how I think I feel. Darkest thoughts, torture mostly. I regularly fantasize about inflicting pain and horror on those around me, especially when someone makes it particularly obvious that they've never experienced hardship even vaguely resembling what I've gone through. Someone who compares having to walk three miles home because their car broke down to my story of homelessness, for a recent example, uh, Darkest Secrets. The first time I can remember ever becoming angry was at a friend who had done something I felt was unacceptable, and I left my then typical apathetic emotional stance to go straight into red tinted vision berserker mode. I very, very deliberately attempted to murder him with an aluminum baseball bat. Um, sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. My only real sexual fantasy is a sleep fetish, where one of the participants is asleep through most of the act. Sharing anonymously doesn't make me feel much, but otherwise I've never shared, though I can't really pinpoint why I'm unable to. What if anything would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I'd like to tell my mother what a horrible person she is and what a detrimental effect she's had on my life, because if I could get her to actually hear me on that topic instead of letting it slide off her invulnerable shield of conviction and her own fabulousness, I might feel like I could have the power to affect change in my life. Uh, what if anything you wish for? Clarity. I'm always confused about my own view of the world. Boy, I do too. 
when I uh, pray in the morning, I always pray for clarity because it is the one of my biggest fears is that I'm just deluded and and just chasing my tail. Uh, have you shared these things with others? Many times, more or less to bounce ideas off people to see if they make sense. Mostly, they change the topic immediately and I let them. Um, how do you feel after writing these things down? Hopeless. I'm sorry you're feeling that way, buddy. You know, my first thought in reading this is it sounds like you don't have anybody um, in your life to connect to that that is comfortable talking about emotions. And... Um, I'd make that a priority. Maybe going to a support group or therapy might be a good place to uh, to start. But it, the problem isn't you. With you know, a, a healthy human being wants to talk about stuff that is overwhelming, which you want to to do. You're not abnormal. You are a person who is reacting normally to an abnormal environment in my opinion. I was on TV. I was on basic cable. So that carries a lot of weight. You know, I cooked uh, beef tongue tacos one time while we showed a John Hughes movie. So I think you know what I'm talking about. This is an awful moment filled out by Julia. And uh, it's very brief. She writes, Calling my schizophrenic shut-in father on Christmas Eve and crying silently over the phone while he explains how to make a Yule log. I explained how to make a Yule log a little, e- little earlier in the show. Oh, That one broke my heart and made me laugh. Thank you for that, Julia. This is a shame and secrets survey filled out by a woman who calls herself sex hater. She is asexual in her 30s, raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. She was the victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. Uh, Abused from an infant until the age of 15 by an aunt and uncle, just starting to deal with it after 20 years of trying to ignore it. There comes a day it catches up with you. She's also been physically and emotionally abused. Any positive experiences with your abusers? No, they are long dead now, thank God. Darkest thoughts, I often wish I could go back to my childhood and kill those people who hurt me. Not for me, but so they couldn't hurt anyone else. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you? None. Other than the abuse, I have never had sex. I had no interest in sex and can't imagine getting that close to anyone. Just the thought of it brings on a panic attack. Sharing this makes me feel very alone and very fucked up. I have never heard of anyone else not having any interest in sex whatsoever. I have heard of many many people who have no interest in sex i have read a gazillion of these surveys um and almost all of them by people who have experienced sexual trauma and so what you're experiencing um is completely completely normal so don't feel shame about that um Uh, All right, reading on. Uh, What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I would like to tell my family what happened to me. Maybe, just maybe, they will then understand why I am the way I am. Fucked up weirdo who hates being around people. What, if anything, do you wish for? I wish I could just get over PTSD and just get on with my life like nothing ever happened. I wish for no child to go through abuse of any kind. You know, there's no way that we can get through PTSD, you know, 
you know, as if it never happened. It, it has to be the opposite of that. We have to feel the pain. We have to cry the tears. We have to try to reestablish trust. And the first part of that is connecting with people who we can trust. And it's fucking scary and it's uncomfortable, but it is so worth it. Um, have you ever shared these things with others? No, I haven't. I come from a very Catholic family where nothing is ever discussed. You are expected to take care of your problems privately and not air your dirty laundry to anyone. I don't want to bother anyone with my problems. How do you feel after writing these things down? I am more messed up than I originally thought. You are so not messed up. You are so not messed up. You're like the the previous uh, survey. You're, you're a, you are reacting normally to an abnormal situation. Um, and it sounds like you're starving for love and intimacy. I mean, we all are to some degree, but um, when we isolate, man, it's it's, uh, it's so hard. It's so hard. Um, this is an awfulsome moment filled out by Dan, who is in his 30s, and he writes, I had just arrived at my stepfather's house the night before Thanksgiving, and my mom and I were sitting up talking. It was fairly late, so she was probably very drunk. I'd recently adopted a senior dog and was talking about how she was probably 10 years old rather than 8 as the shelter had told me. My mom looked up and, as as if I'd just explained a small mystery, said, Oh, so she's just a temporary addition to your family then. Instead of feeling hurt by her insensitive remark, I had a moment of bliss when I realized I don't give a shit about what my mom thinks anymore. The mixture of contempt and freedom I felt was incredible. Ironically, my mom is 70, a drunk, just went through breast cancer, and, as I found out the next day, has been taking opiates while continuing to drink for most of a year. So there's every chance my dog will outlive her. That is the definition of awfulsome. That is so awesome and so awful in so many ways. Thank you for that, Dan. It, uh, I'm reading this as it's just about, I, I think we have like another hour of Christmas left. And thank you for that Christmas present. This is... Um, oh, this was uh, sexual abuse or violation of young male by older female. And this is filled out by uh, Jean Marie. And she is in her 50s. And she is bisexual. And she writes, uh, When I was 24, I seduced a 16-year-old. We dated, cohabitated, and later married, had a son, and divorced. We were together for seven years. My second husband was also eight years younger than me, and we are divorced. Um, When I was in my 20s, we kept it a secret for a while. I thought it was a case of love conquering all. The adults in our lives gave us mixed reactions. Our employer disapproved but did nothing. My mother disapproved and showed her anger but really did nothing. His mother didn't seem to care. Um, Remembering these things, what feelings come up? As the mother of a young man, I'm now regretful and ashamed of how I behaved and wonder what hole I was filling. Uh, She puts in parentheses, rim shot uh, at the time. I also feel guilty. Do you feel any damage was done? Uh, It was innocent and natural, but my ex blames me for everything wrong in his life and likes to pretend that both my son and I don't exist. Um, Yeah, that's it. 
I, you know, it might have felt innocent and natural to you. Uh, and I'm certainly not trying to make you feel shame because I, 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 that, that is not healthy for you to feel, but, um, um, yeah, I think you, I think you get it. I think you get it. I don't know why I mentioned to, to chime because you say I'm now regretful and ashamed of how I behaved. Um, but yeah, it's, I can understand how you, you, at the time, it's weird the things that our brain will, will, will tell us, you know, when I've been in hypomania, you know, the, the, the way, or when I was drunk, the way my brain would warp reality and make me think that I was being so charming or hilarious. And, and in hindsight, I look and I'm like, the fucking, what a attention whore I was or, you know, whatever. This is an awful moment. Um, and by the way, that last minute of conversation uh, into the into the mic, completely pointless. Uh, I want to take it back, but I'm too tired to actually go back and edit it out. So suck on that. That's your Christmas present, listener. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. And as I continue to stretch out that completely pointless little ramble, suck on this a little more. I'm making you suck my podcast dick, and as you're sucking it, it's getting longer and longer. How do you like that? How's that grab you? <laughs> it's Christmas. Oh, this is an awful moment filled out by Ren. I love Ren. Ren has filled out some awesome, awesome surveys in the past. And uh, this one is no exception. Quite brief. Her awful moment. I'm currently filling out Christmas cards in the lobby of the county mental health department while I wait for a refill of my antidepressants. Merry Christmas. Oh, this is a heavy one, this next one. Um, this is got by a guy who calls himself a wasted life. And he is straight in his 30s raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. Um, he's never been sexually abused and not sure if he's been physically or emotionally. But he writes, I grew up in a dysfunctional family with a father working all hours to pay for private education for my brother and I as well as a mother who is a paranoid schizophrenic. My mother would routinely go off her meds and my main memories of family life growing up was the regular cycle of her becoming more and more unwell to the point that the hospital would section her and force her back on her meds. I would regularly go to sleep to the sound of my unwell mother screaming at my father, accusing him of cheating or throwing things at him. She would often shout at my brother and I without provocation at these times. I don't think I've ever had any sort of relationship with my mother and I don't think I know anything about her. My father would often pressure my brother and I about our grades, yet I don't remember much praise for good grades and felt that I was only given attention if I had done something wrong. I understand that my father was exhausted working all hours to pay for my education, but when he got home, he was irritated by the slightest provocation. Hold on one second. Uh, seeing him so exhausted makes me feel guilty to this day that I have wasted all his hard work and become the failure I am today. 
Darkest thoughts. I am attracted to pictures of underage girls and I hate myself for it. I began looking at the pictures at a young age and still do. Uh, Darkest secrets. I once sexually assaulted a woman who had passed out at a party. I was drunk and high but remember touching her vagina. I don't know why I did it but it haunts me that I treated someone so inhumanely. I think I'm a monster for doing it. I have also masturbated to illegal pornography. I don't understand what's wrong with me, but I have never had any desire to do any similar activities in real life. I disgust myself. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I don't have fantasies as such, but the situation where a mother seduces her son or daughter seduces her father are arousing to me. I don't know if it's because I'm still a virgin, but I don't really have fantasies. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I would like to somehow apologize to that girl that I touched while she was passed out. I'm so ashamed of what I did. I would like to apologize to my father for becoming the horrible person that I am, despite him sacrificing his life to give me all the opportunity he could afford to give me. I'm sorry that I am such a failure. What, if anything, do you wish for? I wish I could find what's broken in me and fix it, find a way to create a normal life for myself, and one day be happy. Have you shared these things with others? My family and friends found out about my abuse of illegal pornography. I went to prison and all but a couple friends remained after. My family have stood by me, but I don't know why. I betrayed all of them and I deserve to be ostracized by them. How do you feel after writing these things down? Shame, disgust, self-loathing. I feel like my supposed dysfunctional upbringing is the whining of a spoiled child. I had such opportunities and have squandered them all. I hate myself. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? Get help now, not after it's too late. If you have an unmedicated parent raising you, then get away as soon as you can. Um, you know, my first thought reading this is thank you for 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 sharing that. Um, so often the surveys that we read are the person who is receiving um on the receiving end of the sexual abuse and it's rare that somebody takes the survey and talks about them having um, abused abused somebody so thank you for your honesty in that and you know my second thought is um, separate what was done to you as a child and what you did as an adult one doesn't erase the other just because you you know, looked at child pornography and you assaulted that woman doesn't mean you don't deserve to go back and feel compassion for the little boy that didn't have a safe environment. And if anything, I think it's going to be necessary for you to go back and to try to, you know, in therapy terms, reparent that little kid um, to have a, a productive, healthy life ahead of you because your life doesn't have to be you know the waste that you think it is in 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 your mind you can still achieve good things you can still be a positive influence in people's lives but it it will um i think it will have to involve you um facing your demons and um just hating yourself and being stuck isn't 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 going to help um so that's my two cents, but um, sending you sending you a hug and um, you know just know that um, 
a lot of hurt people hurt people and that doesn't justify it but you're not alone you're not alone in that and you know it sounds like you 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 have a um a really good spirit inside you it's just you didn't have any tools to cope with your emotions and that's how you chose to express your anger or your rage i don't know i'm talking too much now but um thank you for for sharing what what must have been really difficult to to type out and um i appreciate that this is a happy moment filled out by i love this name she calls herself enough poutine um for those of you who don't know poutine is a i believe it comes from canada and it's like curds and gravy and uh yeah and I think it's usually served over fries, if I'm not mistaken. Anyway, she writes her happy moment. I was feeling extremely depressed and suicidal while working in a gloomy factory. My colleagues, including a woman from the Dominican Republic who was really sweet. Uh, my colleagues included a woman from the Dominican Republic who was really sweet. While sitting outside, a bird shat on my head. And she proclaimed while smiling, you know, that means you'll have good luck. There was something so disarming and genuine about her and that bird shitting on my head that made me cry tears of joy. I'm not a superstitious person, but there was a joy in that moment, which overcame my usual healthy loathing of fecal matter. <laughs> I got to say, this episode today, the phrasing, the it's like there is a... Uh, there's always some great um, articulation of feelings and memories in these surveys, but today has been like, you know, like it's it's just at a different level. Just some beautiful, beautiful sentences. I'm not a superstitious person, but there was a joy in that moment which overcame my usual healthy loathing of fecal matter. God. Maybe because it's Christmas, although maybe it's after midnight now. Anyway, here's our last one. This is a happy moment. And this is, you know, I love the sublimely happy moment. You know, I hope I'm using the word sublimely hap uh, uh, correctly because I've been using it now for about two years when I talk about happy moments. And um, I'm, I'm imagining that the word sublime means like it's not um, overtly in a particular way it's more kind of subtle um beneath the surface oh my god all right this was filled out and i love this woman's name shitty mom she calls herself she's in her 30s and she writes yesterday morning i was getting ready to leave the house with my five kids you've by the way you already you had us you have us at five kids just the thought of going to the car with five kids makes me want to take a nap. Anyways, I was getting ready to leave the house with my five kids to drive in this school where I also work. As usual, I was tired, grouchy, and we were rushing. It was between all the morning madness that my oldest child, 13, uh, decides to ask me what she can do about a bottle of milk she had just taken out of the freezer that she needs it to frost it in about an hour so she could use it for a project at school. All I'm thinking is, really? At 13 years old, I have to remind you to be responsible and think ahead of time. So I said to her, you could take it out last night. She looks at me and says, that's not very helpful right now. And I stopped, looked at her and said, you're right. 
I'm sorry. I'm just nervous because I'm tired and in a rush, and that's where my comment came from. She smiled, took the frozen milk, and we all had a nice day. What occurred to me was that we both came a long way in learning to express ourselves effectively. This could have ended up being a senseless argument where nobody wins, but it didn't because we chose a different outcome. It's moments like these that make me look back and realize how far I've come in healing and how much it's had a positive outcome on my family. That is beautiful. It's beautiful. It's realistic. It's, it's, you know, to me that life is just made up of all, or I should say headway, healing, becoming the person we wanted to be. You know, it's not a magic wand moment. It's little moments like that. And, uh, thank you, shitty mom. <laughs> that's, uh, that's just beautiful. That's just fucking beautiful. And, um, I appreciate that. I appreciate all the surveys today. Um, Many thanks to Ian for a great, great conversation. And um, boy, new uh, opening montage next week. Got to get cracking on that. I got some good clips. I think you're going to like, I hope you're going to like the new opening montage for next year. But uh, thank you for uh, a really great uh, 2014. And... um, I just really appreciate it. And if you're out there and you're feeling stuck, uh, I hope you know that you're you're not alone and help is out there. We just got to find people to connect to. And um, just remember, you're never alone. You're never alone. Even if it feels like you are, you're not. And thank you for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully Everybody fucked up I in some weird way. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.